the New Beverly Cinema presents the Pure Cinema Podcast, Calendar Edition, March 2020. And we are joined, I'm Elric Kane, uh, and that's, you just heard Brian Sauer. Hi. We got to get better at introducing ourselves. <laughs> uh, joining us from the New Beverly is Mr. Phil Blankenship. Hello, everyone. And uh, we that we wanted to try something different. Usually we have one guest. This time we're going to go with two. And we found uh, a pair of film programmers who I thought would be perfect. So joining us uh, for the first time, uh, KJ Relth, film programmer. Hello. And Josh Miller, who is a, a film programmer, uh, podcaster, and wrote, uh, co-wrote Sonic the Hedgehog. Hello. How you doing? <laughs> um, do you want to say where you, you guys were programmers, just so we know context? Uh, yeah, we actually met where I started. I have a horror movie show here in L.A. called Friday Night Frights. It's been going on nine years. Damn. And it started at CineFamily at the Silent Movie Theater, where KJ was a programmer at the time. Yeah, I worked there for most of 2016. Um, but currently, I'm a film programmer with the UCLA Film Archive. Which is where I met you. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So we do shows uh, every weekend at the Billy Wilder Theater at the Hammer Museum. Awesome. Um, and I believe later on we might hear a story. Uh, one of the movies might have been the first movie you guys co-host together. I'm not yes. going to spoil it. <laughs> so I'm going to hold that to the end, which I think is the best uh, part of this. Yes. Um, Suspense. But, yes. I just want to thank uh, KJ and Josh for coming because I love both their programming very much. And Josh's Friday Night Frights kind of uh, travels to various venues uh, around town. So he works with the American Cinematheque. He's done a bunch of uh, killer marathons over at Dynasty Typewriter and fun stuff like that. And KJ, I think, is really at the the vanguard of programming in uh, not just Los Angeles, but probably across the country. So I am very excited that they're here today. Oh, um, but before <laughs> we get into the start of the month, I first want to give a big shout out to Quentin and his wife, Daniela, who just had their first child. So congrats yeah. to them. Congrats. Pure cinema onesie being made for you. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was an idea we've been spinning. <laughs> um, but man. My favorite headline I saw when that happened, I don't remember where it was, but it just said Tarantino has first child ever. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm like I'm somehow that I like the sound of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but Quentin's definitely been uh, busy. Aside from that, he's also been writing uh, uh huge cache of uh, film reviews for the NewBev site. So if you take a look at uh, thenewbev.com, up on the top you'll see uh, Tarantino Reviews. And we actually just posted one today. He wrote about Paul Newman's Sometimes a Great Notion. Last week he wrote about The Lady in Red. Um, and There's some Westerns ones, right? Tie-ins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he also wrote, yeah, so he did... Uh, some other Eastwood films, too. Exactly. And then also Catlow, which he oh, yeah. wasn't a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of interesting stuff there. So I encourage everyone to take a look. Um, some movies that we are playing in the future, some films we've played in the past, and some films that are just on his mind. Yeah, and a big thank you to some of the... I, I got to go to the Darker Than Amber screening, which was super exciting. And we we did get to a lot of people, or a couple people at least, uh, come up and mention the show. It's really nice to hear from people. Somebody had come all the way from Salt Lake City. Uh, so shout out to these people. You know, keeps the wheels turning, keeps us excited. That was a great screening. That was a great double. Yeah, Dark, uh, Dark and the Amber and the Pack. That was a good mm -hmm. film. But February was really a great... A month of movies. There's so much good stuff in there. So it's exciting. We're follow up, and I think we've got an e equally eclectic lineup here, which is how I like to see programming. So absolutely, um, let's jump in. Yeah. So on well today and yesterday, uh, we've got the Blue Lagoon and Summer Lovers, a Randall Kleiser double bill. And you may know Randall Kleiser is the director of Grease. Yes, indeed. And Blue Lagoon and Summer Lovers. So uh, anybody rewatch Blue Lagoon? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the, Let's it, ask the couple. Yes, yes. We did not watch this one together, but it starts as such a, a seemingly tame sort of like those live action 60s like Disney kind of feeling yeah. movies and and then just goes in such an, a strange direction and like so it's so naughty and like, yeah, very... Uh, uncomfortable in parts I will say the the best part about rewatching this film and I think the best thing about seeing it on the big screen potentially is the nature photography I mean there's some beautiful underwater photography beautiful um like images of animals so and also it's like it's interesting I mean I know it can sound pretty when you've got someone like Brooke Shields and Christopher Atkins who are both at their most beautiful but it is also kind of remarkable when people are captured like that forever like they're going to always be utterly stunning you know, these people coming into their own. It's, it's super. I mean, I haven't seen this since I've been an adult. But when I was young, it definitely was very exciting to see this. Like that. It becomes that kind of fantasy. Like, I wish I could be trapped on an island with somebody. Right. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's true. Or Chris Raggins, however you want to swing it. But, but either way, I get, get it. I don't Actually, know. No. no, not Chris Raggins. No, I mean, I'm not against being trapped on an island yeah. with a man, but not yeah. Chris Raggins okay, personally. Right. That's, just me. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, besides the obvious, I don't remember this one. Summer Lovers is the one that, in my mind, really stands out and oh, the, yeah. the, the photography in Greece and stuff like that really stayed with me I haven't seen it in like a decade but I remember really liking that one I was, I was listening to uh, Randall Kleiser's commentary on the Blu-ray and he was talking about that he, during the press tour for Blue Lagoon he ran into a journalist who told him about the Greek islands yeah. and that he should go there and he did and then it sort of all sprang out of that you know mm. just he'd never seen those islands on film and so he wanted to capture it and I, I can't say I've seen too many movies like it that you know those islands in that way you know yeah. yeah, so I feel like you guys have something to say yeah, about this one. Oh, I think you're excited uh, about this. Rewatch that. I mean, that movie. It, I'd never seen it before. Oh, wow. and it was kind of mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there's so much that's absurd about the movie. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that's so carried by its location. Like mm-hmm. it's just every image in that movie mm. is just kind of spellbinding in a crazy way it feels like a, pre- a precursor in a way I mean it's not totally different but uh, Linklater's trilogy you know taking taking people and relationship stuff but putting it in a place that is just gorgeous and feels new and exotic photography and it feels like it's almost in that universe I mean also again these people look beautiful like Peter Gallagher looks so good so uh, hot my God. yeah it's so different than <laughs> I'm how I'm just waiting for the moment when we get him on a nude beach yeah. which finally <laughs> yeah, happens like, where's his buns <laughs> <laughs> which we do get and I mean all, everyone in this film is just yeah. stunningly beautiful and the way that this menage a trois is so like well are we is that spoiling anything no, I, mean, I mean that's a whole you know, kind of on the, yeah. that's the concept of the movie yeah, yeah. It's in the log line yeah. I was a little them, uh, yeah semi-menaging yeah semi-menaging. <laughs> I was a little disappointing disappointed that they don't really explore the lesbian potential huh. of that relationship like they are definitely just friends who roll their eyes at each other when the dude is doing something silly yeah. you've had so many adventures I've often wondered what a life like that would be like like what free open well it's easier to say than to do but if you're somewhat secure with yourself you can experiment anything you want I guess I'm afraid of being hurt. But it's just like exercising. It can hurt at first, but then it becomes a pleasure. Then I worry about the consequences. What consequences? What would my parents think? What would Michael think? What would I think? Stop thinking so much. Yeah? Yeah. You're great. You know, if you live on the rim of a volcano that could blow up at any time, you're taking a chance. I think if you want to feel alive, 
You must take risks. I'm beginning to see that. But when the three of them, they kind of explore every other angle yeah. of that triad. Yeah. If it was remade now, probably it'd be different. It definitely yeah. would. Yeah, but it would definitely lead into that. I feel like that. this would be a great big screen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to definitely. see Yargus's version of this. Oh, <laughs> Guys, the <laughs> soundtrack, too. Oh, I oh love my it. God. I absolutely so love Tina Turner. And it has its own, th- it has an original theme song. By Michael right? Sambello, who would do Flashdance in a few years right. after this. Uh, and and it like the time period that it came out in. Wait, wasn't isn't this the first time I'm so excited is used in a movie too? Possibly, awesome. yeah. It was. And it's a pretty funny use. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of the well some of the applications of the music are a little like asynchronous with what's what's happening in a scene, but it doesn't matter because it's so much fun. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the things I love about it is the soundtrack and the locations and and Valerie Kinesen, I think that's her. Say how you say your name. Um, she is just amazing, and unfortunately um, passed Died. away very young yeah. in, a, in an accident. Um, but she is really compelling in this movie. In fact, she's the most compelling of everybody in the movie. And I love Daryl Hannah, and I love Peter Gallagher, but she's just like I don't know. She's uh, otherworldly almost. Mm-hmm. Sexy archaeologist, very much. <laughs> cool. And I also want to uh, thank the Sony Archive for giving us an absolutely stunning print of uh, the Blue Lagoon, uh, which looked all the the, the Fiji cinematography from uh, Nestor Almendros, oh, who we're going right. to see, we'll uh, see later uh, later in the month uh, with the Truffaut double. Uh, looks absolutely stunning. And then tonight we actually had Randall Kleiser uh, there for a Q and A and. I wish I were there, but I'm <laughs> recording this podcast. Sorry, Tell him to stop in. I hope yeah. someone asks him how he feels about Eric Romer, because I think this film oh, is yeah. kind of Romerian. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He um, definitely talked about French films being an influence. He wasn't yeah. specific, but I assume Truffaut. I assume yeah, Romer. But the, yeah, the talking nature of Romer makes sense here. Yeah. You know. um, okay. Well, so, and then I'll let Phil take the start of this because we have um, some really excellent grindhouse doubles uh, all month, but there's a little bit of a story behind them. Yeah. So. Yeah, so all the the Grindhouse Tuesdays this month, Quentin is recreating uh, double features that originally played in Los Angeles. So when you saw Squirm in Los Angeles, you would have seen it paired with Tender Flesh. Or later in the month when you see The Brood, you would have seen it with Scalpel. So these were official released double bills mm-hmm. that had, you know, like ad mats and stuff like that. Like in the newspaper, it would be like, oh, see this pair together. Um, and so we're kind of recreating that, like, glory days of uh, the Grindhouse sort of thing there. It's super fun. It's interesting to watch these films that were paired together and, like, how they play off each other because distributors weren't always thinking of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thinking of, like, thematic elements when they were doing it, and sometimes it's just a happy accident. But uh, I think all of these are going to be great, and yeah. you can take a look on our blog. Mark Hoyk wrote, like, a big rundown of all of these and also the kind of the history of uh, double featuring in the exploitation world. So on the third, we are talking about uh, Jeff Lieberman's Squirm from 1976 uh, about killer... Uh, uh, worms. It was a violent summer storm. Millions of volts slashed the earth. That was the worst storm we've had since I was knee high to a duck. Folks talked about it and started getting things back to normal. When Mick hit town for his vacation. Well, it's straight ahead about five miles. But things weren't normal. There were changes. Ah! Mother bit me. I never saw him bite like that. Strange, frightful changes. That night, it all started. Stop doing that. I'm not doing anything. 
This was the night of the crawling terror. American International presents Squirm. <laughs> I already threw myself off with that. And then uh, Tenderflesh, which I wasn't aware of, a.k.a. Welcome to Our Beach, which seems to be the easier to search title um, on this one because there's, I guess, a Jess Franco film called Tenderflesh as well from uh, more recently, but um, directed by actor Lawrence Harvey. Uh, I still haven't seen Tenderflesh because it was really difficult to see. I saw the trailers. The only thing and I've was... ever seen of that movie was when Brian Collins wrote about seeing, seeing it at the New Beverly years ago. Yeah, yeah maybe like 12 years ago yeah. or something like that. It played as a Grindhouse show, so that's, I saw it then. Wow. Um, and it's interesting. Um, though it plays second, well, I guess we'll talk about let's it. Let's talk about Squirm, yeah. Let's talk about Squirm I love first. Squirm, yeah. That's great. I love Squirm, and I love Jeff Lieberman. Yeah, yeah I do too. Big time. Have you done any shows with Jeff? Yeah, we did Blue Sunshine. My favorite. Nice. That's awesome. He was on my an old podcast, Killer POV, and he and he was at the jump cut a couple times. He came in and introduced a couple things. Yeah, he's and an he's and guy. he's yeah, he's super interesting. Like he, I guess he went into the big bodybuilding phase, and but but Squirm is like one of those movies that shouldn't be good. There's something about it, like when I read about it, and I think it's actually really one of his best movies. Well, you say killer super worms, mis- and I yeah, think exactly. people are like, worms, how could that be scary? But, but they, they I think he reported like 500,000 yeah, They're not just worms. worms. They're not like earthworms. They're yeah. blood worms or whatever yeah. they're called. Yeah. And they have those like, they keep getting the close-ups of them with the like, noises they make, and their mouth just keeps... And they were electrocuted. I mean, they're also. It's also like good regional horror because it's all shot in that smaller town in Georgia. And there's just something about. It feels like he's leaning into that. He's not hiding it. He's like leaning into this being about a small regional town. Well, has that what feeling? They go of, it's like where they just went into some store and they got the clerk to play the clerk. Yeah, in the scene. I kind of love that. I yeah. do too. I, I actually think it's a really, a really atmospheric. Feels authentic. Yeah. The death scenes are really brutal. The worms are actually really because there's so many of them. It feels like they're really committing to it. And like all these great stories you'll hear, like uh, I think on Creep Show, you know, they had to get the. Sp- specific kind of uh, cockroach and then of course they leave town and 20 years later that town's still having a problem with those imported <laughs> cockroaches it seems to be the same with the worms it's like they went through an entire year of the amount of worms that people oh. use for the fishing and I'm just like oh my god yeah. but yeah yeah but great to see with a crowd I would yeah. think I've never seen oh yeah crowd. but the, the the worms are creepy sure but the grossest thing in the entire movie is a, a customer orders an egg cream oh, yeah. at the, oh, at the oh, soda god. counter and like I didn't know what it was but watching it was gross and then like I've been haunted by this ever since I first saw the movie I just like think about this drink which is like milk and like soda water and well, and everyone else like in the scene is reacting the same way you were watching it probably but it's that's a like, super popular drink on the east well, it's coast like a, he's like a they, city this slicker is why I live in California so the, KJ yeah. I've never had one with a foul yeah um, no, so yeah good. if you uh, don't like egg creams uh, watch out <laughs> but I think this one will, yeah I agree I think this, this will play great crowd. yeah I think Please it'll play there. great with the crowd uh, but Tenderflesh so you, you have seen so it. I have seen it so it's interesting and it's like dark and moody and it's about uh, like a like a hippie girl who's walking down the beach I think she's played by like Meg Foster yeah it's Meg Foster seen oh, nice. in like They Live and yeah. like a million other things she's like Jeff Fahey or you know Neil McDonough has like those weird Amazing husky eyes, dog yeah. blue eyes yeah um, yeah, that makes and, them sound gross and she uh, basically gets <laughs> roped into going to stay at this weird decrepit mansion that's like right next to the beach and the brother and sister are strange and then stranger things happen and then basically secrets are revealed and it gets dark. Mm. (laughs) Um, And Lawrence Harvey made this at the very end of his life, right? Yeah, I think it might have even come out maybe even after uh, after he died. Um, But yeah, it's really interesting and it's ultra rare screening. um, So I definitely encourage people to come check it out. Very Very cool. 
Uh, then one of the, I, you know, one of the, I think the one of the best pairs on the calendar for my money in terms of just great movies. Um, you have uh, the man who would be king, John Huston's. This is on the the fourth and the fifth. Um, Rudyard Kipling's story, and then Zulu Dawn, which was new to me uh, from 1979, directed by Douglas Hickox. Uh, two, you know, uh, both films about the British Army, both uh, period pieces. Uh, obviously, I don't I mean king, man who would be king. I think most people, it's just a great classic film. Is this a special one to either of you or? I love that movie. Yeah. It's a weird movie because, like, I went through a big William Goldman phase, uh-huh. um, and I feel like that's like a movie that seems like William Goldman wrote it but didn't. It just <laughs> has that fun two male lead yeah. camaraderie, uh, and also uh, for my podcast, best movies never made. I know this was a movie, obviously before our lifetime, but was for twenty years was yeah. a famous almost made movie where every so few years Houston would try like it was originally going to be Bogart and Clark Gable and then they Mm -hmm. both died within like two years and then it was going to be Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas then I think it was going to be Paul Newman and Robert Redford and I think Paul Newman was even like you got to get two British guys (laughs) to be in this Rudyard Kipling story. There is no place on earth too forbidding. There is no adventure too dangerous to dare. There is no dream of wealth and glory too impossible for the man who would be king. Connery and Kane, rogue and renegade, reckless and fearless soldiers of fortune on the richest adventure of their life. And their chemistry is off the chart. It's, oh, it's, it's so really great. one of my favorite two Pearson buddy kind of film. And Connery's just so fun to watch in this one, which, yeah. you know, I mean, he usually is. But okay, yeah, this this is a great one. And this yeah. is one like, you know, depends when you say if you see it young, too, I think it really captures your imagination. But even not. Yeah, we, we screened this on a double bill with Sinful Davy back mm. in 2017. We did a big Houston retrospective at the archive and it uh, it still plays super well. If you, I, That was my first time seeing it, it was yeah. just a couple of years ago. And um, and I mean. I think that the story behind it makes it that much more like like immediate and urgent. It feels like something he had to make. And it almost is it feels to me up there with something like Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Mm-hmm. But so much later, I mean, his career was just so goddamn long yeah. that he was still pumping out like this. Well, it's interesting the movies he like made around this, too. Yeah. yeah the like 70s Fat movies City and Under the Volcano. Oh, Fat City. And, yeah, Fat some, City. Of yeah. Best, some of his best. I love that period. For, he, great... he of older actors might have one of the best late periods of most yeah. of them. Yeah. It's, almost, it's almost more interesting his to me. His 60s are a little rough. Yeah. But... yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and he also co-wrote it with uh, Gladys Hill, mm-hmm. who was his like longtime assistant. And I don't know what the nature of the relationship was, but if you like look at their like combined filmography, she was like his assistant on all of his... like later movies and then every now and then would just co-write one of them mm-hmm. I think she got nominated for an Oscar for this movie nice. uh, she also wrote Reflections in a Golden Eye oh, right, yeah, which we, we've really talked about like, earlier yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's about it's it's two uh, kind of scoundrelish uh, British soldiers who are escaping the army and end up going uh, somewhere where there hasn't been a white person since Alexander the Great and trying to set themselves up as kings. And that's I think something in the adventurous spirit of your mind and very Rudyard Kipling st- type story is it's just executed so well. It has a very Gunga Din yeah mm-hmm. uh, like structure. Yeah, and Christopher Plummer playing Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, yeah. In the, like, wraparounds or bookends or whatever you'd call them yeah and then it's paired with uh, Zulu Dawn which I, I might have seen this in a history class when I was younger but it I watched it last night and it's you know it's a really beautiful beautiful 
epic movie it, it reminds you of why like you know they use like 20,000 Zulu warriors in this and you're just like you know the replacement of CGI just can never yeah. compare what you're never watching all these humans the playing themselves but it's um so it's basically the reason why uh, uh the Zulu nation don't play cricket that's what this movie is <laughs> which is everywhere if you ever talk to anyone like where I'm from New Zealand wherever it is they play cricket for a reason it's because England colonized and conquered all these places around the world and then they get to this one and the 20,000 warriors outmaneuver them, outsmart them. That's what it's really about, this a bad planning and how it can literally undo an empire, this one kind of battle. And it's got a great cat. I mean, it's Peter it's O'Toole. Young Bob Hoskins. Yeah, Bob, who's always underrated. Um, Burt Lancaster playing a British soldier is great. Denim, Denim Elliott has one of my favorite last moments. Of, like, he's just one of those moments. He's a minor character, but it's just like, he's it's so smart, kind of some of the choices. Um, there's a whole bunch of people in this, but it's, uh, one battle, I, I don't know if I'll pronounce it, Battle of Isandwana, and it just, basically, it's about the British Army, it's really just them planning what they're going to do, and you see all the class kind of divide between a warrior king who's just like, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not changing my ways for an invading army, and then somebody like Burt Lancaster is kind of saying, we should really be smart about this, we should listen to our intel, basically, and then somebody who's just headstrong going, we're the British Army, we do whatever we want, and you know, from frame one, how it's going to end, because it's a historic battle, but it's the execution of it that's really something. Um, I think this is like one of those maybe underrated people don't talk about well, as a great war movie. And it's Absolutely. technically a prequel to the Michael Caine movie, Zulu. Zulu. Mm-hmm. Also good. Really good. I like that. Um, I was going to say, fun fact about this, it's director Douglas Hickox. Two of his sons are also directors. Anthony Hickox, who did Waxwork yeah. and Hellraiser 3, and James Hickox, uh, who did Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Oh, very nice. And there's a couple of potential... <laughs> you know the sequel. Oh, by the way, and I've had both of them at Friday Night Fridays. <laughs> and there could be a couple of Quentin uh, connections here. Obviously, the Fassbender character in Inglorious's name, his last name's Hickox, and I'm going to bet it's named after ah, this director, Archie Hickox. Oh, yeah. And then also they use a piece of the score right before they light up uh, the theater, the nitrate film, they use a piece, snippet of the Elmer Bernstein score from this movie. Nice. So, cool. and, and it's a really good score, really beautiful cinematography in this movie. Uh, highly recommend it. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see how these two epics play back to back, but it's, I, I was pretty impressed by it. I, I kind of thought I'd start it last night and see how I go, and I was like into it. The, the, just the kind of little, the little details when you see British society, high society, and all the different tiers to it. I think the first half of it's really involved in that, and then it becomes a war film. Um, but like, always cool seeing Bert. The spectacle like that, I think, was always impressive, but the further we get away from yeah. movies like that, getting made now it's even just like you can't believe they ever did this just for a movie yeah <laughs> they got an entire town's worth of people yeah and, it, and especially to spend that much money showing british people getting their butts kicked in a way it's <laughs> yeah. kind of impressive it's like it's like we're gonna make this big thing about us failing i, I find that I, I think it's fascinating and i don't think that british would be quick to do that today <laughs> with brexit i don't think it'd be a different story but um and then we uh move into one of the other big celebrations of the month right is blake edwards yeah so all month we're basically paying tribute to uh, comedy legend blake edwards so we're gonna get through a bunch of them but we're gonna start on the 6th and 7th with the return of the pink panther and the Pink Panther Strikes Again, two of the Pink Panther films starring Peter Sellers. The third and fourth entries, I believe. I believe so. Yes. He's back. He's back. He's back. He's back. Who's back? Who's back? The Pink Panther, the world's largest diamond, has been stolen again. And there's only one man who can get it back. I am calling an outside help. 
the famous French detective who recovered the Pink Panther the last time it was stolen. What was his name? Crusoe. Peter Sellers as Inspector Jacques Clouseau in The Return of the Pink Panther. How can an idiot be a policeman? Answer me that! It's very simple. All he has to do is enlist. Yeah, these are fun. Um, I When the box set of the Blu-rays came out, uh, I want to say 2017, I watched these with my daughter. We only ended up watching, I think, the first four. Not because she wasn't interested, but at her attention was only so much at that point. But well, I was surprised. Kinda, doesn't Peter Sellers kind of stop being in them after the fourth one? It starts to get... I, the, I think... It gets lesser after that, if I recall. But yeah, we played Curse of the Pink Panther a couple years ago mm-hmm. at the New Bev, and if you saw that and thought that was good, you are going to have your mind fucking blown <laughs> at the Stubble Bell. Uh, now these are surprisingly better than I remembered. I I, per- I kind of love a shot in the dark. I think that's my favorite that's my one because yeah. it's such a great farce. It just feels like a farce with a you know Clouseau sort of grafted onto it. Plus that one was a play. Yeah, exactly. Wait, That's so what I'm talking about. So, kind of, so it's yeah, got it's this other vibe to it. I think my daughter liked that one the best too. But this one, there's like a great heist at the open of Return of the Pink Panther, which has that just classic like, you know, cat burglar stuff using like a grappling hook and like sliding around <laughs> the floor. And I just love those scenes. Well, and I'd forgot because uh, for, I don't even know why Cage has been like rewatching all sorts of Blake Edwards movies. Because I love to him. This. <laughs> just kind yeah. of I'm just going through a thing right but now. But we watched Return of the Pink Panther. In my mind, the Pink Panther itself, which for people who don't know is the name of the jewel they're mm-hmm. trying Diamond, to steal yeah. in the first movie. In my mind, I thought this was like the Thin Man, where they just kept calling the movies that, but the Pink Panther is actually in Return of the Pink mm-hmm. Panther. Yeah, it has more to do with the movie than the next one. Yes. They, they actually, it gets stolen at the beginning of Return, and that's sort of the impetus for the The first one's thing. the David Niven one, right? Yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. there's For me, there's two too much Niven, not enough yeah. Clouseau yeah. and the Pink Panther, Where but that's just... Well, and David Niven's character, right, is in Return, but played by Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, these were both films that I hadn't seen since I was a kid. I went through all of them when I was a kid, and which is a great time to watch them. Yeah. Also, if bring your kids on, on, yeah, a, on so. a weeknight, definitely, at least for Return. I mean, the, the physical comedy is just next level, and... And I don't know. I I also did not know if they would have aged well, but we were we were laughing a lot. Especially, I mean, when you get to strikes again, it's just so much absurd. Like he's just going for like topping himself, like top every gag with another gag. The whole sequence at the uh, at the asylum. Yeah. <laughs> Herbert, Herbert Lama is going full yeah. force. Yeah. <laughs> from China and Germany, from France and England, from Russia and the United States. The world's deadliest assassins have joined forces for a single sinister purpose. Who brought them together and why? I brought them together to destroy the most dangerous man in the world. That incredible idiot. That stumbling, bumbling menace to society. (laughs) Inspector Jacques He's back again. Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau. Mark my words, Francois. Sinister forces are at work. And I just, as a kid, my favorite, and it still holds up, is just his oh. relationship with Cato, oh, yeah. so man servants. Yeah. And my, how, my, 
how excited he gets to fight Kato. I kind of forgot just the look on Peter Sellers' face. The slow motion stuff. Oh, there's <laughs> always so the slow motion yeah. with like a great like roaring. Yeah. It's so good. I love that. Well, an entire kitchen is destroyed. Yeah, they just trash their apartment. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, and it gets it goes up a notch in in Strikes Again. Mm-hmm. Um, Would that my, have been your entry into Blake Edwards with most people? Like, I think in, it was for me. That and The Great Race. Which, okay. Oh, let's segue to it right now because <laughs> it's obviously a much, it's from quite a long movie, right? It's two and a half or so so it's it's in its own spot for the eighth and the ninth yeah i love this movie kj what are your thoughts on this one oh man well again i hadn't seen it since i was a kid but i watched it a lot when i was a kid so much so that like certain catchphrases were (laughs) like family catchphrases um including one that you that josh so josh had never seen it i've rarely seen her so excited to watch wow we invited you on the right calendar no and you guys didn't even know this (laughs) about me which is great but uh there's something like deeply embedded in my body about his humor it just like Mm. it's almost uncomfortable conscious and I think that's almost what he's going for there's a great um uh it's not really a biography but it's more of just like a look into Blake Edwards films called A Splurge and the Kisser by Sam Wasson he also wrote a biography on Fosse um among other things I mean he's he's a great writer he's very funny it's not too academic and he argues that basically like Edward's brand of comedy is unconscious and it come the laughter comes from this place like deep in your body that you're not even anticipating and I think he does that multiple ways but one of them is through like shot composition um especially in oh uh, I forget which Pink Panther film it is but with the parallel bars when I, he, I think that strikes again. Uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's one of the two. Yeah, I think it strikes again. Yeah, where that's like, a great bit. Clouseau's on the parallel bars, and you don't see that there's a staircase right next to him, <laughs> and he just. Go, I mean, I, anyway. Yeah. That, so his, I think that that's partially how he does it, but it's just like the unexpected slapstick that's mixed into this like already genre subverting film in a way because you go into it expecting a comedy because it's Blake Edwards, but then there's an overture at the very start and you're sort of like wait is this a serious territory we're entering into that's like paying homage to <laughs> to Laurel and Hardy at the very beginning like it, it, you kind of don't know where to put it in your head and so when the laughs come they come like very unexpectedly and immediately um and I actually when we were watching it um what did you say Josh was like, uh, we're 36 minutes into the movie and the race hasn't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my first reaction, she sort of alluded to, is that in when I was younger, I had a soundtrack CD called Shots in the Dark that had Rose McGowan on the cover before she was famous. She was just a model for that album cover. And it was all uh, covers of Mancini songs, yeah. but they didn't necessarily say what they were from. And there was just one called Push the Button Max that I loved. Yes. So it was just like over and over again in Great Race uh, when huh. Jack Lemmon yells, Push the Button Max. I'm like, oh, that's which one it's yeah. <laughs> Tony Curtis is brave, of course, but he's never been as brave as this before. Jack Lemmon, funny? Naturally but never so fantastically funny as this. Men chasing Natalie Wood? Not surprising, but never so frantically before. Also, having grown up on wacky races, I did not realize that Dick Dastardly and Muttley mm-hmm. were so were specifically based on Jack Lemmon's character. Well, and, then, and it, uh, it, Peter Folk. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they play like cartoon characters in the best way, mm-hmm. where it's like, 
and and they've gotten funnier for me every time I watch it. Every time I watch it, the first time I was like, "Oh, that seems a little broad," or something was going through my head, and then every subsequent time, I'm like, "They're kind of my favorite part of the movie." They're so great. So They're I just like love them. almost. It's almost a. Uh, it's more of a homosocial than homosexual relationship, <laughs> yeah, uh, explicitly. But but whatever they're dealing with, like that he understands that he's cranky in the mornings, and <laughs> and uh, the, or that that Peter Falk's character understands that that Jack Lemmon's character is cranky in the mornings and then like the <laughs> uh, Blake Edwards I'd not really picked up until kind of rewatching these or watching some of them the first time he just likes having like building a giant set and, and then just destroying it, it. Yeah. who wouldn't yes. like yeah. <laughs> no, he does he, you're right there's a lot of destruction oh. in all his movies just like, it seems like, like oh wait we didn't break that yeah. yet let's figure out a way to break that yeah. and move over there well, and then the, the greatest most epic pie fight ever in a movie I think <laughs> Yeah, it's a pie fight. It's a meta pie fight. Like it's not There's trying like the to be the best inside pie those fight. pies. Does not really seem like they like. It just gets like weird colors and the pastry bill was apparently eighteen thousand dollars. Oh my <laughs> goodness! That's why we podcast. I believe it. For facts like that, I believe it. Um, but I, I remembered what I was going to say. The when you were thinking of like just sort of these archetypal. Uh, good versus evil characters. I always thought of Snidely Whiplash and Dudley uh, Do Right that they're kind uh-huh. of playing with that, and they're so explicitly playing with that. Like Lemon's character is just always in black and always almost like steampunk looking in his <laughs> in his characterization. And the great Leslie, I mean, down to his name, he's almost feminine hmm. yeah. in a way, and all of his white costumes and his um his uh, Hezekiah, his like manservant butler whatever their relationship is <laughs> that natalie who natalie wood's character is obviously jealous of in some way yeah uh, there's a lot there's a lot of like subverting of gender expectations in this movie too. definitely yeah yeah no it's it's great stuff it's one of the i, I can't think of too many comedy epics i mean i guess <laughs> it's a mad 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 world but beyond that there aren't too many that i think can sustain this scope and mm-hmm. work for me and this one always works i love it uh, well, let's segue into another uh, Grindhouse Tuesday. I think this is just a pure gold oh, yeah. double feature. These, uh, This is uh, David Cronenberg's The Brood from 1979. Uh, this is on the 10th. And uh, one of my favorite discoveries of last year, to be honest, when uh, Arrow released Scalpel, which I hadn't seen, from 77, directed by John Grismer, which uh, you at home all know from Blood Rage, <laughs> which is the greatest Thanksgiving movie ever. Uh, but this uh, this might have almost topped it for me because I think Scalpel's actually really... I love I, Southern Gothic is probably my sweetest spot and when I see a new one that I hadn't seen shot by Ed Lackman yeah. he, it's gorgeous looking well the transfer is gorgeous that uh, he oversaw but um, this is about a mad surgeon who's really sleazy this is beauty this is the beast <laughs> descend with them into a world of terror give me one of those pills Bradley, your daddy is dead, which is what I'm celebrating tonight. I wonder why he hated you so much. I do the devil's work. <laughs> I change the faces that God intended. I cater to man's vanity and to his lust. God, look out! Girl you just brought in. What do you think happened to her? She looks like somebody worked her over and tried to destroy her face. They succeeded. The rest of your face is mostly silicone, solid. And liquid. Ever since you started these operations, there has been something going on in your head, and it ain't medical. How would you like to have this face? What the hell for? Would two and a half million dollars be sufficient incentive 
and he basically there, uh, he comes in contact with this abused um, uh, stripper, stripper who's yeah. been beaten all to hell, and he basically gives her plastic surgery to look exactly like his daughter. But that's so he can because his like stepfather died and left all his money to his daughter. Who's you like, say missing. that's the reason? <laughs> the other thing is has these really awful overtones all the way through that are just so grim. Uh, but the way they play it out, it's really interesting. And I mean, there's some great. Great. I don't know the actor's name, but the yeah, no, I for, the I forgot what his name, but he's really interesting. I mean, he's, yeah, it's a good performance. It's somebody like you feel like he, he was in probably a lot of '70s movies, maybe a soap opera or something. But I think he was a little more TV and soap opera yeah. than than films. I don't think yeah. he did it. I was listening to um, oh, there's a great commentary on the Blu-ray too. Uh, I think I saw you comment to the guy. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. It's really good. But there was some talk of that specific actor yeah. and how he didn't really do enough movies. He's got a great movie face. It's just very, I don't know, cinematic. It's if, just, if when you watch Eyes, Wide, uh, uh, Eyes Without a Face, you're like, this is a great film, but I want it to be sleazy. Yeah. This <laughs> is the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it, but it is, it's actually a really good film. Like, I was surprised yeah. having not really heard of it. So to me, these two are, that's a fun double feature. Oh, yeah, I this mean, is really I think The Brute's one, probably, from, from my money, maybe Cronenberg's best film. Yeah. So it's most personal, really, you know, an incredible film about, uh, you know, separating and kids and well, custody. It's and, two very different yeah. films about father-daughter relationships. Yeah, very ultimately. much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, really very true. Yeah. On, so. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. I don't know. The Brood's the perfect movie to see with somebody that you are in the midst of a breakup. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, But uh, if any of you have heard uh, the new Five Things with uh, Lynn Hirschberg uh, podcast, it's uh, the editor of W Magazine. She did a two-part interview with Quentin. Oh, nice. And the second part is a must, must, must listen because uh, he breaks out the Screen World 1980, which covers all the films that came out in 1979. Mm. And they go title by title. And he talks about which ones he saw in the theater, oh, wow. gives a review, wow. and also says where he talked about it. But he talks about The Brood, and he calls it uh, his favorite Cronenberg, maybe that tied with The Fly. Yeah, so yeah no, they're, a, they're both excellent. It's a, it's a must listen. You can actually find it on the new website, too. It's in the Quentin excellent. News. Section. I thought I knew where all, all those recent podcasts i hadn't heard uh, that yeah, one i missed yet. that yeah. one i'm checking it out uh very cool yeah this will be really i think this will probably be one of the most fun nights of the month to come you know it's, i yeah. have not seen scalpel but the brood is one of my favorite cronenbergs and so to see how they play off of each other i think i'm i'm really anticipating it goes it so fun. bonkers you'd probably really like scalpel yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty great it's pretty wild I, I watched it for the first time for this calendar yeah. and knowing that you loved it yeah. and knowing i would probably dig it and i did so. yeah it's pretty Didn't wild it originally have a title that sounds like eyes without a face false, false face yeah false. okay and, and i guess <laughs> i mean and also the visuals are radically different from like Ed Lackman's on this disc and you're watching the other version and the arrow people are on it basically telling you don't watch Ed's one watch our one. like it's a really weird <laughs> I watched moment. Ed's yeah I, I like watched Ed's. Ed's it's just funny because they're so different I've oh, noticed yeah. quite a few films because he puts years. like a, a sort of a blue, golden yeah a tint to it of yeah some kind. hue or something yeah but like, like he's it. such a great DP I'm not trusting Ed Lackman yeah come on I, I totally agree but and he's an interesting character to hear him talk to uh great double yeah, so then uh, we move from that into March 11th and 12th. We have La Cage a Fall and uh, Victor Victoria, so another Blake Edwards there. Uh, I was a big Birdcage fan, Same. so then I went, you know, whenever, however, if I thought that was based on something, went back, watched that, and 
It's great. The crazy thing about it is that's one of the Birdcage, one of those remakes where they're just like, no, it was perfect. Let's just do everything scene by scene. Like Robin Williams and uh, Nathan, Lane. Nathan Lane's wardrobe is even basically the same hmm. as the people in the French film. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just like, this movie's great. Let's just do it in English. Well, I think they benefited so much that La Cage Folle was a uh, stage play first and the script is obviously just so impeccable that that translated so well to the French film that then could just be picked up and made into an Americanized version so easily there are like little differences like the the uh the fiance's father has a slightly different gig but he's also in like a corrupt yeah, he's government like a conserv- moral conservative mm. uh, one thing that was funny though is that the musical that just came out a few years ago or like 10, 15 years ago, I thought was part of the like post producers, like let's turn popular movies into musicals. Right. But apparently that musical was based on La Cage and was written by Harvey Firestein oh, in the cool. early eighties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> nice. Interesting. Huh? And how, what about Victor Victoria? I, I, if I've seen this, it was a, a law. It was when I was a kid. Yeah. It's been a while. For I me. just watched thoughts. this on a plane, <laughs> uh, which next to being in a theater full of people yeah. is maybe the best way to watch a movie. <laughs> um, just pumped full of like excess oxygen. And um, I think I was irritating everyone around me because I was laughing so hard at certain parts. But I mean, this this like also, you know, what I was saying earlier with with how he sort of subverts gender and is almost preoccupied with it that really comes like full full bore in this film um i mean it's it's uh julie andrews and press robert preston james garner's in this one is that right i think so yeah yeah and who plays his like henchman that's why i liked it when i was a kid as i was a big alex karras fan who was mongo from blazing saddles and george papadopoulos the dad on webster yeah (laughs) so there's just a great supporting cast and it's also it's set within uh sort of a cabaret in also in like a, a a place where there's a a drag show and performance and the best part really about the film is the relationship between julie andrews and robert preston i mean it's so sweet and it's also like in especially in a time when like 1984 like aids is on everyone's mind Mm. in a way and and that there's this very accepting and and positive uh gay male and straight female relationship it's just Mm. so like lovely and tender Mm. um and then there's also great slapstick mixed in Mm. with it do you, how do how do you think those two play off each other? Like this sounds like they'll be different enough. Oh, they will be. Yeah, yeah they're they're definitely they're different enough. I think that Vic, they both have a big heart, but yeah. Victor Victoria maybe has like it'll leave you on more of. A, they both leave you really on on uplifting hmm. notes. I think. What do you think? Crowd pleasers. Yeah, yes. for sure. Very I nice. love Julie Andrews when she's directed by Blake Edwards. Yes, which is quite a lot. So we move from that uh, to the March 13th and 14th uh, double bill of uh, Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz and Benny Chan's the uh, just Big Bullet from 1996, uh, which was a first-time watch for me. And apparently, based on a Twitter exchange between the New Beverly and Edgar Wright, he has not seen Big Bullet, so he may <laughs> have to check it out. Oh, that's, which is oh, cool. that's cool. Um, but yeah, this is this was interesting. So we rewatched Hot Fuzz. Uh, and I love that movie a yeah, lot. Like it just gets better and better for me every time. Just, just the screenplay construction, much like Shaun of the Dead. It's just like so My many. My favorite sets. Edgar Wright film. Hot I Fuzz. Think. Yeah. yeah, I I think it's close for me between Scott Pilgrim and that. But yeah, it's it's really great. Um, but I noticed there's a really interesting parallel between Hot Fuzz and Big Bullet, in that you have a 
sort of a heart, not I want to say it, like a really good cop who is basically demoted through sort of no fault of his own to a lesser unit and then sort of has to work with that unit in, in some ways. I mean, in, in the case of Hot Fuzz, he's actually moved to a small town uh, to deal with, you know, what seems to be a peaceful group, but ultimately not. Um, but yeah, it, I thought it was a really neat double in terms of those dynamics. You know, I thought it was, it definitely seemed like, you know, we're thinking about the similarities in story for both of these. Had you guys heard of Big Bullet? I hadn't heard of it. No. no. Mm, okay. We Some, played it during our 90s uh, series mm. in, in 2015. Um, hmm. We played it with like Downtown Torpedoes, I think. You a big fan and, of it? Uh, yeah, it plays great, um, especially with the crowd. So if think. you like '90s Hong Kong action that has you know like a like a comedic edge, yeah. then I think you're definitely going to be super into this one. Yeah, no, I like the unit that he's in. Just has a great group. They're like there's an older guy and there's like this younger woman, and they just have a great dynamic that I thought was very funny. Beyond like sometimes with with um, some of the Hong Kong cinema, I don't connect with the comedy as much. But for some reason, this group that they brought together, I thought was really funny. And and I don't know, it had like a warmth to it that I was kind of surprised by. So yeah. I think I if you like Hot Fuzz and you come to this double bill, you're gonna definitely be surprised. Yeah, and, good uh, stuff. I like Hot so. Fuzz. I feel like if you watch it like only every five years each time you watch it like a new cast member is now famous because <laughs> <laughs> like we just had it on we had a friend over for dinner uh and i'd seen that i'm like i don't need to rewatch hot fuzz but i was like oh it's on streaming let's just have it on the background and then i like wandered through and i was like oh that's olivia coleman oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah isn't that crazy yeah. and our friend didn't know i pointed out i forget the actor's name but who played the hound on game of thrones uh, the you know, yeah. yarp guy yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that blew well, and it's mind. also before martin freeman would have been taking off right it's a little it was before post that after the but, office okay, 2007 okay. But, so know. it would have been his big movie then, yeah. yeah interesting yeah. but also timothy dalton popping up in that's just oh, pure so gold yeah I love that when the, the whole british cast billy whitelaw yeah. you have just like um oh damn it who plays belloc in raiders i can't remember the actor's yeah. name right now but oh, yeah. this the, the british cast is amazing you know if you're yeah. if you're from the uk like you're just it's they're all kinds of famous well, films. Well, and that, the scene where, yeah, like watching it again, it's like I, even though I, I knew who they all were, I hadn't really thought about the fact that when he's getting demo- or promoted is yes. the joke. Yes. They're promoting him to out of London. That it's like three generations of British comics. Yep. It's uh, Martin Freeman, Steve Coogan, and Bill Nye. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's, I love that's that. Great, yeah. It's such a great, that's a great opening bit yeah. too. Anyway. Yeah, for the greater good. so we go from uh action double into a barbara stanwick double feature on march 15th and 16th we have the two mrs carols and bitter tea of general yen frank capper film and i think these are both josh favorites (laughs) coming into the show i think this is why you wanted to be on this (laughs) 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 who doesn't love barbara stanwick i haven't seen either of these so you haven't seen i haven't seen either of them yet yeah so. so i mean they're they're interesting because they're not my the typical Stanwick mode mm. that we can expect. Yeah. She's not super brassy like Babyface or ladies All they talk fire. about. Yeah, she's definitely more in a uh, like a martyr, like women's picture role in both of these movies. Um, so the, for the two Mrs. Carols, it's starring Bogart, and there's even like this this really interesting uh, like callback to Casablanca in the movie. Oh, he has he has a line that I won't spoil, but when you hear it, you'll be like, oh my god, it's almost groany, but it's also <laughs> kind of kind of lovely. Yeah. Um, so Stanwick is is uh, on vacation with with uh, Bogart and she realizes like she finds a, a letter that's addressed to Mrs. Carroll 
which is his name. He's he, his name is Carol, and so she realizes, oh, this guy's actually married, and he goes through this whole thing where he's saying, you know, I I'm gonna leave her. Da da da. She's she's bedridden and she's ill and it's not working out, and and ultimately that wife does die and. The second Mrs. Carroll, Barbara Stanwyck, comes into his life. Mm. Um, and the, they're sort of tied together by this really precocious daughter that he has from his first wife. Um, the complicated thing is that he's a tortured artist. And so it's he's there's this whole sort of tie-in where he's painting a portrait of his first wife that then sort of leads to her demise. And maybe that plays into, like, every woman he's ever been with. You're mm. not quite sure. Um but, I mean, when you're watching it, it feels a lot like suspicion and gaslight oh, cool. in certain ways. Um, yeah. And it also makes you realize, like, don't date tortured artists, <laughs> ever, <laughs> because they're actually dangerous sociopaths. Um, but, no, it's it's really great, and the performances are are fun. There's a drunk doctor that, that comes into play that, that you're just, like, oh, cringing at. Um and then same in, in in Bitter Tea of General Yen, it's it's a Capra film, so it's very deftly directed. There's incredible crowd scenes. Um, it takes place in Shanghai, and uh, Stanwyck is playing this uh, a missionary who is trying to rescue orphan children from inside a war zone, and she she gets hit in the head within this war zone in, in the chaos of the street, and is taken under the care quote unquote of General Yen, who's sort of a warlord of sorts, hmm. and um, and begins to have uh, feelings for him. And it's actually so this film is thirty two, yeah, nineteen thirty two, and it's one of the first times that the idea of interracial attraction was mm, explored wow. on screen even though the person who's playing general yen is no uh is a <laughs> swedish actor in yellow face close enough close <laughs> enough. Sweden. there is however there is uh there there's a largely asian and asian american cast um that are playing extras and then there's this great japanese actress toshia mori who's playing general yen's concubine and she just lights up the screen she's She's incredible. I wonder, do we know what role it, that change where like what was the last time people kind of had to play white people had to play people of other ethnicities? Was there like an actual line in the sand in cinema? I think I'm, it still happens. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Happens. Well, I mean, I guess, but in terms of the majority, like I mean, I, I, I mean, even when I go back and watch The Searchers, it's always kind of mm-hmm. surprising when you get to Scar. You're always like, oh yeah, you know, it's you watch Short Circuit. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, isn't Mary McDonnell playing a Native American woman in Dances with Wolves? In Dances with Wolves? I think she was. No, I think, but I think she was white. Yeah. The character okay. was white. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. which we, funny because we were because I walked actually walked through the room while she was rewatching Bitter Tea, and we were just kind of talking about like why if there's all these other Asian actors, and then I was just thinking about like when Linda Hamilton won uh, her Oscar for You're what's the Mel Gibson movie. Year of Living Dangerously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where she's playing like an Asian man. And I think. No, it wasn't some... Linda Hamilton, though. Sorry, right? not Linda Hamilton. Uh, Linda Hunt. Linda Hunt, yeah. Uh, I think it's only the, it's the idea of like how impressive it was that they could right. play. Range. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, so convincing. Paying attention yeah. that uh, they should just hire an Asian guy. That yeah. you look around <laughs> like on set, even, and there's so many talented actors. It's just kind of. So maybe in the 30s, too, the idea is okay, but it's too dangerous had we actually cast that way. It's, it's just right. fascinating. Which is weird because the, the whole anti miscegenation thing was such a big part of the code when that was mm-hmm. implemented, which was three years after this so that they were even exploring the idea of 
an Asian man and a and a white American woman sort of being in a romantic relationship is something that wouldn't have even happened, even if the white actor was in right. yellow face just like three years later. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, also, I believe it's one of uh, Capra's favorite films in his own filmography. So, oh, nice! Did not know that. That's something interesting. Going into perhaps the most powerful double bill of the entire month, <laughs> yes. March seventeenth, we have a Grindhouse double bill of Zebra Force and Bare Knuckles. Um, I know each month there's always a ultra fill recommendation. Nice. Ten <laughs> out of ten, Zebra Force man is right up there. Code name Zebra Force. A highly trained military tactical team. Back home, their war continues as they zero in on organized crime. He's not! Codename Zebra Force. Who are these fearless marauders? Hitting the mafia with shattering blows. Knocking out their target. Name Zebra Force, the most deadly commandos ever to blast their way across the screen in a battle with a mob. It's a ten fills. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it might be a ten out of ten fills. <laughs> um, and uh, all the people who listened to me last month and uh, caught Death Promise because of that, you will not fucking be disappointed by Zebra Force. It's about a crack team of Vietnam vets who basically get the gang back together to uh, enrich themselves and also take down the mob. But the twist that they use to do that, I won't spoil for you, but is so fucking good. <laughs> it's, uh, this, is, this is a good one. Have you, did you guys watch it? I did for the first time, and wow. Fucking great. Yeah, every every month there's something that I'm like, you know, I'd rather see this at the new Bev and save it. Like I started watching both of this and Bare Knuckles on YouTube and both of them are like, I don't want to watch it like this. So did we. Like yeah. the, if I can see anything in the theater, it's going to be two movies like that back to back. Well, and yeah. Zebra Force is a, is a scope movie. It's so, yeah. Y- yeah. and the YouTube is, yeah, yeah. obviously not going to be great, but it's also not scope. So uh, the DVD I had is a code red DVD. So at least I got to see it in a proper aspect yeah. ratio, but to see it on the screen would be... I mean, there's so much crazy shit in this movie. I mean, not the least of which is the like leading lieutenant of the group is horribly burned and has to speak through a vo- with a voice thing. <laughs> All right, Willie. Everyone has everything down pat, right? Yes, sir. See that everybody gets better down. I'll be back at 0600. Okay, lieutenant. And so his stuff is just... I don't know. There's something really, <laughs> I don't know, strange about that whole business. So that's that's some cool stuff. But yeah, it's great action. And I just, I don't know. I really loved it. Like, it really blew me away. I'm really uh, impressed. With Bare Knuckles, it says there's a masked serial killer killing woman using kung fu moves. How does that look? So Bare Knuckles is kind of a, a precursor to a lot of the like 80s action horror hybrids. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, maybe like 10 to Midnight or... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you What's know, the Ferrero one? Um, oh, it's just Fear like, City yeah, Fear or something City's like that, or like Hero and the Terror or yeah. whatever. It's about uh, a bounty hunter who is a, a real tough dude, Zach Kane here. And I love his last name. It keeps going, Kane. I'm like, yes, let's <laughs> and, do it. Uh, he's basically tracking down, uh, there's a mad slasher like running across streets of LA, and he's like killing women and doing other horrible stuff. But 
every single decision in this movie is made for absolute entertainment. It's directed by like Don Edmonds, who mm. made a bunch of like the Ilsa movies. Zach Kane is the hunter. Watch it. He's coming at you. And with the force of bare knuckles. Starring Robert Maharo as Zach Kane. Also starring Sherry Jackson. Michael Height. Gloria Henry. And John Daniels is black. Did you miss me? Bare knuckles. Rated R. And anytime you think it can't be outdone, then <laughs> Zach Kane will suddenly stop the action and play a flute, or like <laughs> hang out in like a whatever, like like, yeah. like a like a Shakey's or Pizza Hut like parking lot, and you're just like, what the fuck? This movie. If you watch this at home, you will be pissed that you didn't see it for the first time at the New Beverly. Also it, shot by Dean Cundey, by the way. Yeah, it's just crazy. That's cool. It's yeah. a real movie. Yeah. It's not yeah. just a, f- oh, yeah. a film that Phil likes. It is. No, no, no. <laughs> it, is think, uh, it is good. I think Robert Vajaro, who plays the lead, I call him a poor man's William Smith. He's got sort of that look. Sure. And he doesn't quite pull off what William Smith could pull off with a character like this, but he's got a bravura, I don't know, something about him where you're just like, that guy, it's one of those characters where you look at it and you go, yeah, I don't know, but the women in the movie apparently like really will do anything to hang out with this guy, including go back to his room, which isn't really an apartment. He lives kind of behind an art studio in a closet, more or less. And But that doesn't d- deter any women because he's just that kind of draw, you know? But And he's also a really good fighter. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one too. This is a really great double bill, fellow. I, I'm with you on this one. Yeah, thank you, Quentin, for giving everybody 100% pure pure fill. <laughs> March 17th. Um, so we have uh, on the oh, 18th and that. 19th, we have Bette Midler in Divine Madness and Gilda Radner in Gilda Live. So two uh, women shows. As these are both delightful. Yeah, I'd never seen. It's funny for a guy who hosts a horror movie show. I'm now realizing my two favorite discoveries prepping for this were uh, Summer Lovers and Divine Madness. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I love it. It is delightful. Yes, she is so good. I mean, I think people have a certain idea of Bette Midler mm-hmm. from, especially if you're from the like beaches. Yeah, like I was just going to say yeah. generation. Wind beneath my wings. Yeah, but it's, I feel like this is kind of like the character that Bette Midler's playing in beaches or whatever. It's true, but it's also, I mean, she got her start performing in bathhouses. Yeah. And like, like beaches. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so this is just like straight off of that. She's so quick talking. She's so fast on her feet. I mean, clearly so well rehearsed, but um, it, she's like breathless in her performance and delivery of everything. And she's... Uh, her like physical presence is so interesting Josh was commenting on how like she's so poised when she's sort of when she's singing and when she's sort of taking like jabs at herself but then when she's walking around stage she sort of has this like real Mae West (laughs) kind of like slouch like slump walk to her that just gives her like this totally different I don't know side of her personality she feels very uh charming and kind of underdogs a weird word to use I don't, not really what I meant but like you can just feel the relationship with her crowd and yeah. kind of imagining people who'd probably been with her 
since she was just in these bathhouses slowly rising because I think this was like the year after the rose which was mm. kind of what really broke her out as a star yeah and I, you could feel like they're just like also excited to be seeing her get but it, famous it really I mean those of you who may have seen Liza with a Z we played that at the archive in uh, like about two years ago and that's uh, Bob Fosse's Liza Minnelli live performance documentary I feel like this is right up there mm. with that in terms of the the hits just keep on coming it like builds super well and I have to say like I don't really care all that much about Bette Midler personally like I, I like her she's fine I'm not a super fan but this made me a super fan mm. absolutely and I mean Josh was commenting on how clearly Kathy Griffin just like cribbed everything from her and her attitude. <laughs> well, and her song choices are really interesting because she sings some Bette Midler songs, but then she also sings a Tom Waits song, a Bruce Springsteen She sings song. East Street like, Shuffle. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's really it's cool interesting show. show. Overall, really cool. I'm with you. Yeah. And I haven't seen Guild Alive. You guys watched that too? She did. I did, yeah. I was... Uh, oh, oh, should also mention that Divine Madness is directed by uh, Michael Ritchie, who right, directed yeah. Prime Cut, which is yeah, like so one ones. of my favorite discoveries of recent years. Nice. Um, uh, so, Guild Alive. Yeah, has anybody else seen it? Seen it's um, it's basically the greatest hits of her SNL characters with um, Don Novello sprinkled in there. <laughs> clearly, just being used as like time filler, but great time filler for her quick changes. <laughs> um, so she runs through all of them. I mean. Uh, uh, Judy Miller is in there, Candy Slice, Roseanne Rosanna Dana, like every character you loved from her SNL days and performances. And so I hadn't seen this my first time watching it was just this weekend. And what you really see from or what really comes out of this is just like this real sweetness that she has to her comedy and to uh, to just her whole presence. She starts and ends the show as herself, which I, with someone like her, you rarely got to see that side of her, I think. Um, so this was this was not well received when it came out, but I think it's aged incredibly mm. well, especially for how like we didn't have her for a very long time. She died what at forty two, I think. Oh. Um, she died pretty. Yeah, she was forty two um, when she died in eighty nine, and so this is like I don't know, just this slice that like we mm. wouldn't have otherwise. We have so few like captured performances from her that it's really special and it's just like this this is such a like uplifting and lovely night at the movies. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I think this is a neat experience to yeah. go and see two sort of shows on stage more or less. Yeah. And Guild Alive was directed by uh Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Oh, and if you wow. saw the excellent documentary uh Love Gilda, then this is the perfect companion to that. So you you will you'll fall in love with her. And then you'll have your heartbreak. I know. <laughs> uh, and then we go into a Blake Edwards double. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, one of his best known and the film I think that played on TV in New Zealand more than any movie I can think of, 10. George Weber is a successful songwriter. Elevator music. I'm very big in elevators. And everything is going his way. <laughs> With friends who respect him. <laughs> and a woman who loves him. He couldn't ask for more. But George is about to discover that even a man who has everything doesn't have everything. She was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. There's nothing more exciting than a fantasy. It can give life a new meaning. And most of all, it can make a grown man act like a child. 
Oh, really? uh, probably wow. with edits, uh, a I couple edits so. uh, from 1979, and uh, one I am le- not, not familiar with, Mickey and Maud uh, from '84. Uh, what do you guys think about Ten? Did you rewatch Ten? I did not rewatch Ten. We watched, we re-watched most of it. Most of it. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely. I agree. It was on yeah. TV all the time, and I felt like there was just so many. The parody of Bo Derek in her cornrows yeah. mm-hmm. just was like everywhere. Even if you hadn't, it's almost weird to see the movie after the parodies, and you're like, "Oh, that's what this is." It's also such an iconic poster. Oh, yeah. yeah, and like VHS and VHS cover. cover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, he's a Dudley Moore who's you know I don't know if it was just where I was raised, but Dudley Moore was the there was a period where I felt like he was on TV every single. Well, day. I, you know, I every think our day. generation you yeah. grew up loving him from Arthur. Arthur, Arthur yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's you know he plays a composer and so it's a Hollywood story and he's uh, you know he's he's seemingly happily married and then one day just driving home he literally runs into a cop car when he notices a, a woman on her way to be married uh, being Bo Derek and he follows her to a wedding it's kind of a, you know it's very it almost feels like a Clouseau type uh, meet cute well it's not even mm-hmm. the meet cute because they don't really meet uh, and then you start you start to realize okay so he obviously has some dis- dissatisfaction in his. Uh, personal life and then it slowly leads to him kind of more or less stalking this person to to create Somewhat a meet creepily. cute in yeah. a sense <laughs> uh yes yeah, no definitely creepily um it's one of those movies watching it again i was wondering about how it aged and there's certain sex things all the way throughout they're kind of interesting and played big so you, they're, they're throwaway but i gotta say when bo derrick shows up in this movie I, i'm pretty blown away when she enters a whole different energy starts and mm-hmm. basically on a beach there's a whole sequence of them in a bedroom together and a thing with the record i think it's one of the greatest I feel sequences like this movie somehow made the song Bol- the bolero yeah the, bolero. the classical musical piece no i mean and that's got, what like a 20 while. minute sequence mm-hmm. or something but it's a re- like the orchestration of going from hot and heavy i want to have an affair all the way through the different beats that get playing yeah, with, i don't want to spoil it and... it's fascinating and very real and quite touching because it's not what you expect it's not the uh, gross I'll do anything just so this woman will have sex with me that's his motivation mm-hmm. entering into the story but it it's how it alters once a fantasy becomes attainable to see you have to deal with that is I thought that that part really held up like for me it was worth the rewatch well, just a weird running bit of him spying through his telescope on his like neighbor who's just yeah constantly that's, that's really goofy. Yeah. his neighbors played by the uh Coroner from yeah. Return of the yeah, Living yeah, Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian Denny, he's really fun to rediscover as the bartender. He has a couple of really great lines in here. There's, there's some really interesting people just pop up. But uh, I don't know. It's you know, it's an interesting one. It's it's like I liked it. I liked seeing it again. But that part really, that that sequence. I think sometimes he he shows what a good director he is. Sometimes just sob similar. Like I really like sob as a whole, but there's sequences that, that I love. That, that I just can never forget because they play almost like their own little mini movies. I think this period of Edwards too, like that's kind of the best way to encounter his yeah. movies is to go for these like really, really fucking amazing scenes yeah, yeah. Um, and and see how he, he fits them all together because yeah. he's, he's made so many movies at this time. He's pretty competent. It's interesting to think about the meat. I hadn't thought about this before, but his meat cute in this movie is actually similar to the way that he met Julie Andrews. Mm. Like they kept like driving by each other <laughs> And then they finally just like pulled over and started talking. Oh. And this is when his 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 marriage was crumbling. And they'd met. Oh man, they met at some like famous person's house, some party huh. years earlier. Because um, they got married ten years before this movie came out. But it is kind of like a. I think he's starting to become more autobiographical at this mm-hmm. period because that's life. Also feels pretty. I don't know how closely autobiographical it mm. is, but I know that's not on the calendar. But yeah. like that. Uh, that definitely feels similar. And I haven't seen Mickey and Maude, but 
I'm excited because Amy Irving is yeah. like at her peak at this time. And like he's a bigamist a, in this one. He's moved yeah. up from, <laughs> from chasing to the actual bigamy. Yeah, I know nothing about this one. I, I have a quick story and yeah. it has nothing to do with the movie except that... Um, it's more about I'll, your bigamy. No. <laughs> I'll be brief. But basically somebody came into the video store when I was in college and they're like, I'm looking for this movie. It's it's somebody and Maud. And I was like, uh, maybe it's this one. And I gave them Mickey and Maud. Clearly, <laughs> they were looking for Harold and Maud. That is a deep cut video store. <laughs> but at the time, I, I just and I never heard from that person again, but I'm wondering if they're just like, yeah, that movie. I mean, I'm sure it's a good movie, but it's obviously not Harold and Maude, which we'll talk about later. Well, but yeah, if this person comes this month, they're in luck for both. Yeah, so. I can see <laughs> both of these. But I do remember that embarrassed that I didn't know Harold and Maude at the time. I didn't it's understand funny. its its power. It. So, so no one's seen Mickey yes, Maude here. Unfortunately, no. I haven't seen it, but I know the general uh, plotline is that Dudley Moore is in a long term relationship, but he wants to have a baby. Can't happen meets another woman, falls in love with her, finds out at the same time that they're both pregnant and shenanigans ensue. I was also going to add for anyone who hasn't seen 10 and goes to see it, just uh, the cultural impact this comedy had is thinking about the fact that when I was in high school in the 90s, mm. Suburban white girls from Minnesota were still going to Cancun on spring break and coming back with cornrows, which was mm-hmm. entirely because that became like a fad after ten. That's yeah. crazy. That's wow. The power That's... of ten. Thanks, Bo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she, I, I would just say, like, she also had real presence. She, she, had, she's utterly gorgeous in it. But she, there's something else there too. I thought she, her performance in the sequence I'm talking about, it's like it really is like its own mini movie within the movie. And I thought she, I could see why she that was such a start making turn in that moment, um, which isn't always the case with models turned actors. I thought. Um, then we go into a Francois Truffaut double. Uh, we have the story of Adele H., which is on the 22nd and 23rd, uh, mixed with The Wild Child from 1970. Um, I've seen the story of Adele H., but I hadn't seen The Wild Child. And all I would say is it's 1975, and Andrzej Zulowski's gone to the movies, and he watched a movie, and he was like, <laughs> totally. five years from now, I'm going to make possession with <laughs> yeah. her because she's bonkers. <laughs> because I, this really does feel like she, a lot of the hallmarks of what she does in that film are seeds planted in this film absolutely uh, she's great in this film um but this is also a really interesting film like so it's basically the daughter of victor hugo she's uh secretly uh not using her name she's in, uh gone to uh, traveled to halifax from uh from europe to basically chase this object of her desire who they had had a relationship but were kind of like banned because of her father didn't approve of this guy and he's just a total womanizer yeah uh, i don't know what his position in the army is but he's smooth he looks like um, he joins the army so that he doesn't have to pay off a debt that's right uh, like he's a like a gambling gam. he's a debt. degenerate he's yeah. a real yeah he's a yeah. real degenerate um and so i don't even know what his position i don't even think it matters where he is in, in the, the army but yeah i've seen unrequited love but this is really <laughs> unrequited it's a whole movie about like just how like the guy just has no interest in her anymore and she will not give up and she doesn't she even says you can treat me however you want i don't care what you do she delivers a woman to him at one yeah. point she's like she's yours for the taking basically yeah. she spies on him having uh, like a relation with, with that's another one of my favorite woman. scenes because uh, her face dogs. her face is amazing she has yeah, well, well we to, there, we, there are no dogs yeah, we'll dial that one back but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no but her face during that scene is incredible because you're not sure what she's going to feel and yet she she's getting this pleasure in seeing him happy almost like imagining she's with him but it's a really it's a really interesting film because also it's obviously historically 
probably based on it's probably one of those stories that somebody came across and went wow Victor Hugo's daughter ended up you know going to ending up in Barbados and all these crazy places uh, during this time period mm-hmm. and obviously while Victor Hugo had been at that point because of his po- political stance had been out of favor and kind of exiled from France and then you know by the end he returns it's a really cool movie because it has this bigger backdrop but it's a very contained very character focused piece and she's you know she she is like there really hasn't been another presence on screen like her the way she performs with her emotions on the outside of her body I find her she's only 19 and she has so her first and like the first five minutes of the film she doesn't have any real dialogue right so you're just watching her and you you might come into this film having seen possession maybe you haven't (laughs) but like you you if you have you have an understanding of what she's capable of and so as you're watching her you're you're curious if Truffaut is going to use her in the right way and then as soon as she starts talking I mean it's so interesting because the film starts by saying the story of Adele Hugo is true and it like makes a big point of saying like this is based on real events but then when you first meet her she immediately starts lying and so you have this real like you don't know what to expect from her but as soon as she starts especially the first scene where she finally meets the guy that she's there chasing um uh who has no interest in even like looking at her um that that part of her comes out and it's just amazing and she was nominated for an oscar for this role oh i didn't know that part yeah and at the time was the youngest i think the youngest nominated Youngest woman nominated for an Oscar. She was 19, I guess. But she won the Caesar for possession. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. It's, and Elric's. <laughs> <laughs> nothing in America that year because the American cut is not good. But um, but no, this is a really good film. This is a really good, uh, you know, contained character piece. It, it seems like these are pretty wildly different Truffaut films from what I can tell about Wild Child. I haven't seen this one. I've not seen Wild Child yeah. either. Me neither. I haven't, but they I are... I know that Adele H, of course, is a gorgeous-looking film, and everything I read about Wild Child says that it's also stunningly shot by Nestor Almendros. Excellent. And if you like seeing Truffaut act, uh, this is one where he plays the doctor in it. Who, uh, And I, I do. I enjoy seeing Francois Truffaut in films. I've, oh, every time he's appeared, I always think he's uh, really solid. Um, but yeah, no, that should be an interesting one. Good double feature. Holy shit, March 24th. Back by popular <laughs> demand. People didn't get enough of it last time. Death Promise. It's back. I want to point out that I just saw Death Promise uh, in February at the New Beverly again, and so many people came up to me and said, thank you, Phil, for uh, putting this on my radar. You gave it 10 out of 10s. I'm coming, and if I don't like it, I'm going to fucking hate you forever. (laughs) And literally, one person came up to me mid-film. I'm sitting in the back of the auditorium, and he just came over to me and just got in my face and went, yeah. (laughs) So... I think that it delivers. There's so much. I I told people last time how crazy it was, but man, it is even better than you could ever fucking I've, imagine. I've been hearing if, legends of it since last month. If you ever wanted to know what I think a film that I could direct could oh, be nice. like, <laughs> wow, this is this is what I'm shooting for. So basically, it's set in New York City. It is about a vicious group of landlords who are pushing out uh, the poor denizens of one of their like uh, slum-infested uh, apartment complexes, and they push so hard that like the leader of kind of like the community group there is killed, and then his son. Watching the movie, I was like, I. I didn't know he was the son until he was like, I'm going to avenge my father <laughs> um, to give you an idea. Uh, he then goes on a quest to perfect his martial arts and then 
fucking destroy every bad person uh, that uh, basically set up his father. And it's very Kill Bill. He's crossing names off of a list. Nice. <laughs> there is probably the level of martial arts that I could do in the movie. <laughs> All right. Um, but it is a crowd pleaser. People were... It wasn't, uh, you know, like teenage mother people standing on the seats at the New Beverly screaming in terror. It was lots of like uh, fist pumping, shouting, uh, people having the absolute best time of their lives. So as you may glean, uh, I give Death Promise uh, a thumbs up. Nice. Yeah, we started watching it and then immediately stopped because we were like, I feel like this is, uh, you got to watch it in the theater. I have a DV minus R of it. Like before, before you programmed it, about a year ago, I got it at one of those conventions. I was like, ooh, what's this? And and then as soon as you guys played it, I was like, I can't watch this crappy version. I got to wait. Maybe this is the month. I feel like both of it, now there's a lot of pressure. I got to get here for these. uh... (laughs) So yeah, I feel like uh, people were skeptical going in after I did such a hard sell. But there is narration in the first like oh, yeah. ten seconds, yeah. and people yeah. are on board. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel bad. It's uh, it's playing with another film that is also worth seeing. Uh, Velvet Smooth. Did anybody of you any of you mm-hmm. check it out? I watched part of it. We I also would, started it. Yeah. yeah, not because it wasn't good, but it was just I kept putting it on too late at night to finish it. That's what happened to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was digging it though. I was definitely digging it. You know, um, what did you guys? Did you guys get anything out of your partial viewings? Uh, I was digging. Oh, I, I wrote down gentrification martial arts for the first one. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, just that it, uh, the especially the first one is so, um, like, weirdly timely. Um, and I think that it, I just, we turned it off because we didn't want to ruin it for when we watch it live with an audience. Nice. That's yeah. my kind of, I like that you guys, because I, I still do that. I have to do that now that we do this all the time because otherwise I won't be able to go to the theater. If I watch all yeah. of it, yeah. I've got that problem after doing this for a few months, you get to a point where it's like, no, no, that I have to save for me because yeah. I need that <laughs> yeah, experience. Yeah. Well, we were just, you know? we were looking through the calendar and thinking like, what are we going to go see now that we've seen Yeah, because normally we yeah. grab the calendar and like, we'll go to that, we'll go to yeah. this. And yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we've been re-watching all these movies. <laughs> yeah, I no. will say the one, th- and maybe this is reductive but i was getting sort of a female dolomite vibe from velvet smooth i don't know if you guys would buy that but it was it was a really entertaining uh i was i was totally digging it it's so on, it's a black exploitation detective yeah it's character. on amazon prime am if i you remembering want. correctly that both movies begin with a theme song where the chorus is the title of the movie mm. well velvet smooth has got a great opening because it starts it has an opening scene and then it cuts to her answering machine mm-hmm. and then it's like you get her phone message and then it turns into the song. Of the, I was just like, oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Definitely great sunken living rooms. Oh, 70s yeah. sunken yeah. living yeah. room sets yeah, much yeah. like Dolomite and all movies like <laughs> but that. But there's, yeah. there's a movie at the end of this calendar with sets that will put all the sets in this to shame and we will get there at the <laughs> okay. end, soon enough. Uh, let's go oh, to okay. uh, com- <laughs> comedy double, uh, comedian double rather, uh, Lenny by Bob Fosse from 1974 on the 25th and 26th with Richard Pryor live in concert from 1979. You see, the trouble is, is that we all live in a happy ending culture. A what should be culture instead of a what is culture. We're all taught that fantasy. But if we were taught, this is what is, I think we'd be less screwed up. Think what I mean. I'd like to show you people some really dirty pictures that relate to your daughter, my daughter. These are some pictures of the Kennedy assassination. Now, I say these are dirty pictures because the captions are bullshit. Never for an instant did she think of flight. Now that's bullshit. That's my conclusion. Time Magazine's conclusion is that this woman was trying to get out of the car 
to get help or trying to help the Secret Service man aboard. That's their conclusion, and we buy it. But I think she did the normal thing, man. When the president got it, bam, and the governor got it, bam, she tried to get the hell out of there. But they want us to believe this bullshit. They want my daughter, our daughters, if the husbands get their faces shot off someday, and they try to haul ass to save their asses, if they do the normal thing, then they'll feel guilty and shitty because they're not like that good woman in the fantasy. And it's a dirty lie to tell the people that if you're good, you stay, and if you're bad, you run. Because she didn't stay. Fuck it, man, she didn't stay. People don't stay. No. People don't stay. This is such a great double. Yeah, yeah, I really like... This is one I basically did at home, and I was... Wow, it was really neat. I, I hadn't watched Lenny in a long time, and I forgot how much I liked it. I forgot how much I love the sort of flashback structure. I mean, now it's gonna... If you watch it now, you'd be like, oh, I've seen this in, like, other movies, but I don't think a lot of movies had done this structure as much um, back then. And so it's got, like, kind of a retrospective like they're talking to the actors as the characters and they're recalling Lenny and they're you know live with him and how they met him and you know it's it's really neat and I think Hoffman is really it's one of his great performances like he just totally becomes you know him and I I, I don't know I really hear that the that the structure is because of the casting of Dustin that they were worried that he wouldn't be able to carry a certain element Mm -hmm. of that character Mm. and then realizing if we play with the structure and the edit edit, we can edit him to create that edge that maybe he because not because of uh, any limitation on Dustin Hoffman more of he's still not Lenny like in terms of True, that's yeah. a hard thing to aim just like I think every time I hear people are going to play Richard Pryor I'm always like mm, I don't know if you can I mean that guy is like no one else yeah. yeah you know and it's a really there's certain comedians I think that are really hard so I, I think I read that or heard that recently no I think you're right I think that they didn't write the film this way but yeah. then uh, when it came around to making Star 80 which I I did a double bill at the archive of Lenny and Star 80 mm. and they're basically the same movie right. like oh. the structurally yes, totally, yeah. because he's Uplifting doing double. Oh, <laughs> it was a to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, rough night, let me tell yeah. you. Um, but I, I interestingly encountered both of these films, both Lenny and Richard Pryor, live in concert in an undergrad class on biopics. Ah. And so this one, the Lenny, uh, Lenny was on a week when we were talking about like the post-classic Hollywood biopic era. Um, and then Richard Pryor was... Uh, a, a week called stand-up comedy as autobiography mm. <laughs> interestingly Interesting, yeah. Um, but yeah because I mean Lenny is a very dark um, and and grim film even if you can come away like appreciating Hoffman's performance which is fantastic that one single shot of of him that's like from a balcony yeah. where he's wearing like a sock and just a raincoat and no pants is like such an incredible sequence um, but then if you stay for Richard Pryor it's like you are leaving feeling so great because that it is just so funny yeah you get exactly what it is about him as a performer yeah when you see him on stage and you're just like wow when it's it, still it, so fun nothing shocked me more like growing richard Pryor was like my number one when i was a kid like the toy was one of the early films i saw and then mm-hmm. brewster's millions is a movie i just i still do this i absolutely love that movie but like for me to then find out like not for years that he was an edgy comedian i had no idea i just thought he was like this like i mean he's just so like they're kind of soft movies they're almost kids based movies so, like bill cosby exactly but it was <laughs> Well, oh gosh, <laughs> no one's like that. Uh, but no, I mean, I was truly pretty surprised when I made.
relate it to as comedy it was like this whole other tier of this person and then you uh, make it to blue collar and oh, yeah. some of these movies uh you know I, I love what was the moving one that i love um is it moving. Just moving i think moving's freaking hilarious uh you know such a crazy comedy moving but, is great yeah moving's good but anyway i think so i think it's i think when you see his comedy it's so edgy and self uh you know deprecating and just it's so raw in oh, terms yeah. of well, what he talks about getting arrested yeah. and mm-hmm. all this stuff but it's yeah. all but so lighthearted. it's not yeah. even like now we go and into his drug problems. serious yeah. Oh, yeah 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 somehow manages to make it all funny and then yeah. he also emulates like multiple animals in this yeah. oh i love that <laughs> stuff yeah. i really love that so stuff funny. so i got a a doberman right one of them bad motherfuckers right somebody stole him that's how bad he was and I got him from a dog home. You know, you can get dogs from the dog home, save them from killing them. You know, I got him from the dog home, and somebody had abused him real bad, because every time I called him, he'd freak out. I said, hey, champ, what you, Jesus Christ. What are you doing, man? Don't do that shit. I'm telling you, fucking with my head, man. It's a real bummer, Rich. It's, God, please. They're like that. Dobermans are like that. When they're puppies, they're real scared, man. You look at them, shit, they're but when they get older, they don't even like for you to stare at them, right? Most dogs you can stare down. You look at a dog too long, they go, oh, oh, oh. You stare at a doberman, don't be talking about, mm, I don't play that shit. And then they show you their teeth, right? This look like I'm smiling, motherfucker. I'm about to get in your ass. And they make real good watchdogs, right? But the only problem is they let burglars come in your house. They do, they have a burglar, yeah, come on in, come on, yeah. Come on in the bedroom, let me show you where the money is. Yeah, get on in, get all that, yeah. Come on in the kitchen, get silver, hurry up, come on, yeah, come on. And they wait for the burglar to hit the door. That's when they turn into the exorcist. <laughs> right, the burglar go, they go, you can't leave. I want to play. And that's how you find the burglar when you get home, right? To be the Help me! Please help me! Motherfucker sound like the fly. Help me! The dog is going to bite my asshole out. Help me! I was thinking with Lenny, it, it'd be interesting for people who only know him from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. Oh, like, yeah. learning what he was... Because I don't know if you guys watch that show, but it's such a like light-hearted, fun version of... Lenny Bruce <laughs> to then see what he was really like. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad to see how he, he descended into like reading like, you know, court decisions and, and ordinances and laws and stuff. It's just crazy. It, it's so neat to, I don't know. It's great. Just such a great movie. Um, yeah, really wonderful double. That's yeah. going to be wonderful. Richard Pryor live in concert. The funniest yeah. stand up comedy I've ever seen. Ooh, yeah. Put nice. that on the poster. Wow. <laughs> uh, now, the best movie that I had to watch on YouTube that I wish I didn't have to because I wish I saw it at the new bed for the first time, and you can, uh, is the Jimmy Wang U double feature, but it also is. Quentin's birthday. So he picked these movies specifically to play on his birthday because Master of the Flying Guillotine, the film that's the A feature here, is one of his very favorite movies. And if you watch it here with us, you will fucking see why, because this is a crowd pleaser for sure. Oh, I can only imagine. I I have a DVD of it. You know, it's interesting. This is one that has not, as far as I know, gotten any kind of decent treatment on home video. Like, all the prints seem pretty beat up. The DVD I got is supposed to be, like, digitally restored, and it looks like shit. And that's okay, I guess, for the movie. But it's such a great movie. And to play with a crowd, 
I just was like, wow. Oh, the crowd's going to go wild. It would just be insane. It comes from beyond time. From beyond the outer limits of your imagination. He's the master of the flying guillotine. And he's ready to blow your mind. With more nerve-shattering special effects than you have ever seen before. It's a trip into a world where warriors from the ends of the universe meet in combat that knows no boundaries. Because it's all set piece after set piece. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's basically like you you have a great open. <laughs> Which I won't even spoil. You just watch the open. But then you have sort of a tournament setup where you have mm-hmm. a bunch of different fighters fighting each other and you just they have all different like, you know, special moves and things that they do and weapons and it's just like it's it reminded me a little bit of like a Leone movie in a way, mm-hmm. but maybe that's mostly the sound effects because I watched an English dub, yeah. which the sound effects and the dubbing are otherworldly in a way that I love actually and it totally entertained me. But I remember not knowing what this movie was until I saw True, True Romance. At one point, it's on the TV in True Romance. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And that's when I found out about it. And, and then, of course, that ties into Quentin loving it, of course. So It's not, was, it's not a spoiler, but they have a flying fly- guillotine. Well, that's what so, I was going to say. That's what's yeah. amazing. I yeah, stumbled upon this for anyone old enough uh, listening, if you remember what channel surfing was like <laughs> yeah. flipping cable. Uh, and especially channel surfing before your cable package had the, like, menu or you can see what that was the greatest thing ever would be if you caught a movie right as it was starting and i swear that like flipping it to the channel and just said master of the flying guillotine but thinking there's no way this movie's gonna have a real flying (laughs) guillotine in it and it's like oh it does and two minutes in you get to see (laughs) it it's like awesome man it's so good no this was this was a blast and as i was watching it's like you could just i could just feel how different this would be and seeing it sometimes i'll see something for this and be like i don't need to see it straight away this wouldn't stop me having seen it then Mm, to get to see what the crowd tomorrow yeah. yeah tomorrow um, so that is being paired with the Tattoo Dragon from 73, which also has Jimmy Wang Yu as the lead in it. But that one's directed by Wei Lo. I d- haven't seen this one. Couldn't track this one down. Yeah, this is... I haven't seen it either. Seems yeah, pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. To have something uh, yeah. that rare as the well, second feature. Great, yeah. 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 Uh, you may have seen uh, Jimmy Wang Yu. We did uh, a long run of uh, the one-armed swordsman a couple years ago, and uh, he's the star of that. So, And he's the one-armed boxer in this one, uh, in Master Flying Guillotine. So... Um, and then we go into a double feature. Uh, we have Darling Lily from a 60 millimeter, millimeter IB Tech mm-hmm. uh, from 1970 by Blake Edwards. And then Frowling Doctor, which is also IB Tech uh, from 69 by Alberto Latuada. I hadn't heard of that one, but that one looked really cool and had Susie Kendall in it. So I was like, ooh, we've had a lot of Susie Kendall in the last couple of months, which I like. Anyone seen either of these? I have not. I've been dying to see Darling Lily. Yeah, wow. Some of I went through and watched Lily. some of the musical numbers. Because, I mean, it's Julie Andrews and Blake Edwards' first film together. I don't know if they were married when they shot it because they got they were married in '69, so maybe they were together or they were just like they had just gotten married. Um, but the opening shot of the film is all one take and it's the longest take of Edward's career apparently and it starts with in total darkness with just Julie's face being illuminated on stage Um, and the camera has this incredible weightlessness that like I don't know that he ever had experimented with before or has had Hmm. since Um, and it's really it really feels like a love letter to her in this Hmm. this great way she plays a great character she also has um, she's a she's playing a spy um, but she's also a singing spy uh, singing and dancing spy and she has 
a striptease number that um, it's posted on YouTube. Don't watch it. If you're coming to see this film, like wait and see it then. But Mm -hmm. um, the person who had uploaded it was clearly a a guy. And he said uh, that the striptease number ruined his childhood because, (laughs) I mean, this is only two or three years or three years after Sound of Music. Uh, all right. uh, so I think I think Julie Andrews has this this false classification as like unsexable. Right. Um, and this totally, her performance in this completely undoes that. And then they comment on it in SOB. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It opens mm-hmm. with a number where she, she reveals her breasts shockingly to the, yeah, that's interesting. Sam Wasson's book about uh, Blake Edwards' career says that, that, that from Darling Lily to SOB is the longest striptease mm. in cinematic history. <laughs> <I love laughs> Nice. But also has Rock Hudson. It does, love yeah. Rock so Hudson. her love interest is Rock Hudson, who's always just a delight yeah, to watch. But no one's seen Frowling Doctor. No, mm-hmm. I'd never even heard of that one. That one sounded really good. It sounds like it was a war spy film. Yeah, it's it another like, like sexy espionage movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think they're both loosely based on like the Matahari like story or whatever. I haven't seen it. We played it a couple years ago, um, and I know that people actually really dug it. And uh, especially it's Ennio Morricone score. Ooh, very but cool. we're nice. getting a very rare original, vibrantly colored IB Technicolor print from the Paramount Archives. So I want to thank them specifically for letting us make that available to audiences. So as I fear is the key, darker than amber, and then this one are, are three Susie Kendalls at least. I think in the last two months. That's pretty cool. Excellent. Um, okay, and then in our uh, last double feature in the main part of the calendar, we have Blast, which isn't what I saw, the alternate mm-hmm. version of a film called The Final uh, Come Down from 72, directed by Oscar Williams, who I believe is Billy Dee's brother. Um, yeah. We couldn't to... confirm. We were curious Yeah, we were looking that. at it, too. Okay, yeah. No, it was just an, a guess. And uh, Get Down and Boogie, um, which, again, wasn't the title on the version I saw, which was uh, a.k.a. Darktown Strutters, uh, directed by William Whitney, uh, who's shown many times uh, at the theater and uh, su- was surprised to see George Armitage, uh, writer of Miami Blues, favorite of mine, and Gross Point Blank. So uh, this movie we'll get to, we'll talk about the first one first, but the well, second movie is, oh my God, oh in my a theater, God. this would probably be <laughs> yeah. maybe the most unmissable thing of your life in terms of seeing these images on a screen. But let's let's start with Blast, because I don't really, can you, can you explain what we will see in Blast versus the final comeback? So I haven't seen Blast, but I've read... Uh, all about its like sordid history. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, the final come down came out, and it didn't really hit with audiences. So, it, and it's a pretty. Have you seen that one? It's a downbeat, very kind of sad. Billy D. I will say this: I've never seen Billy D. act like this, mm-hmm. and I was really impressed. I'd, I've never really seen him in a very serious, intense. It's a Black Panther mode, and I was like impressed and kind of moved by it. That's uh, trying the Black Panther trying to go into like suburban white America and take the fight. Yeah, I think it's more a uh, more serious like a uh, mm-hmm. like social radical yeah. uh, type film. But uh, you know, uh, Corman and New World Pictures decided to uh, give it another shot, so they went back in, and I believe Alan Arkish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's one of our faves yeah. here at Pure Cinema, went in, re-edited, and then also shot a bunch of new footage to mm-hmm. kind of amp up the more exploitation edge of it mm. and then it got reissued as blast and we're getting one of the blast prints uh, courtesy of our friends at the ucla film intelligence hey. uh and after and a year where we had uh, also a friend of the show right larry karzuski uh, my name is dolmite or dolmite is my name uh durville uh, whichever one I, I get it wrong each time uh durville martin <laughs> is a major role in this and he's he's really good he's got he's got he's kind of got some great moments towards the end uh but you know he's it's really a buddy film between him and billy d and well, I, I agree like I, I guess it sounds funny to say for somebody who's as beloved and remembered as Billy D. Williams yeah. from the Star Wars movies, but I always 
like you look at his filmography and it's like he's got these huge gaps yeah. and I mm-hmm. kind of feel like he was a guy who never really got a full chance because yeah. like something like this it's like he's great yeah. he's mm-hmm. so charismatic yeah I was surprised by the performance for sure I'm, I'm very curious now having seen because you can see this version obviously I think it's on Amazon Prime or something but obviously the the version that's playing here you can't so I'm very curious to see what Blast is like yeah um, and then I mean we got to talk about this oh, movie outfits Look out, get down. The dark town strutters are riding to town. They're fast as a jet, sharp as Gillette. And what you see is what you get. Uh, but maybe I'm for real. The set design, <laughs> the opening couple minutes even, just the costumes of these like big pink hats. It's like watching a black Power Ranger girls going through yes. a story, but then turns into Keystone Cops very quickly. <laughs> and then it's like, but then it gets bigger and bigger as the movie goes. I, I couldn't honestly, like, halfway through, I was like, I cannot believe this exists. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. It's it's a mind blower of a movie. Yeah. I love the the tagline at the yeah. top of the poster. They'll together they'll fry your eggs. eggs. <laughs> Talking about both these movies together, I would think that is the case. But well, and yeah. we, again, like a lot of these, we put on kind of late at night, and yeah. I felt like my eggs were being fried. <laughs> yeah. like, what is what am I looking at? It, tr- it moves at just breakneck speed, <laughs> and then it's also I I know it's in L A. This is an L A. double feature. Both of these films were shot in or around L A. Yeah. Um, and this this film I couldn't tell. I was actually talking with um, Charlie Terabor, who a manager at the New Bev, who wrote the note for the website. He wasn't sure if it was like Carson or Long Beach where the uh-huh. film is shot. So, but to see like to watch this film in Los Angeles and kind of recognize like I don't know that that you're you, you have the vague feeling that you're in Los Angeles in the 70s is kind of special and uh, a cameo or uh, like I don't I actually we, we turned it off so I don't know how long he's in yeah. it but Dick Miller shows as up as a cop yeah he's in it he's a I, cop. I noticed him as a cop <laughs> I don't think he came back in but maybe I'm wrong but like also there's this weird Colonel Sanders character which is <laughs> it, it plays with race actually in a way that was kind of refreshing because it was way over the top and wasn't you know it, like it's the opposite I guess of the final come down like they, they pair pretty mm-hmm. well it's so over the top at one point there's like people in clan outfits on motorbikes chasing people but it's done it's done so silly uh, and then the production design is so beautiful it's really in contrast it doesn't feel like other corman films from that period it's kind of mind-blowing i i I mean if it's a good print i bet you this the colors and stuff would be remarkable to see Mm -hmm. i you know i the version i watched was only okay um but i will say ebert had there was a great he just said the very least you can say for downtown strutters is that it's the first black motorcycle gang rock sci-fi musical which would seem to be saying a lot. And I'm like, and I'm like that basically says it all. Yeah. I mean, it really has all those notes. And I don't know. I, it was a nice surprise because when I saw the when I saw the icon, I was like, okay, it's just gonna be a black exploitation film. Period. And then it was just not. It wasn't really. It's none of those typical beats at all. And kind of has some of the stranger last moments I've seen in a movie with with uh, what the Colonel Sanders character is kind of doing in this movie. Well, and you mentioned William Whitney at the top, yeah. but I mean, for those that don't know, William Whitney, notoriously a Quentin Fave director. Yeah. And this isn't an atypical William Whitney film. No, he made a lot of Westerns. Yeah. There's one called The Golden Stallion that Quentin's a big fan of, but this is so different than And this is like else. 75, so that's a lot, you know, quite yeah. a long period of creation. Yeah, no, this, this, this I one... I just couldn't imagine him on set directing this. It's just crazy. I kind of really hope this gets a full house because I just would love to see what the reaction to a movie like this would be. And I can't imagine it plays on screen very fry much. their eggs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I like how you say that these are both L.A. movies because it makes me think of... Uh, so the Richard Pryor live in concert, to go back to that, that was shot in Long Beach. Uh-huh. So it's like yep. the people in the crowd for that were probably the target demographic for definitely nice. blast you're so right yeah <laughs> but that takes us through the main uh, the main part of the calendar um but 
some of my favorite uh, programming this month is the Midnights. I think this is probably my one of my favorite grouping of Midnights in terms of balance. I think I, I, a, I love all of them. They're uh, one of them happens to be almost my favorite movie, but uh, I think they're all fantastic. So let's so um, well, first let's start off with uh, so the Friday Tarantino Midnight in March is going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's going to play every Friday night at midnight. This can be the sixth, the thirteenth, the twentieth, and the twenty seventh. Um, if you have been following along with these calendar episodes, you may have known that the New Beverly has been playing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, for seven months, but March. March 2020, our schedule changed up a little bit. So the past few months, we've been running it on weekends. uh, But now we're only switching it up to doing our Friday midnights. Mm. Um, And I want to point out that our closing night show that we had this last weekend was total gangbusters yeah, uh, wow. we did a, a killer raffle we raffled off one of like the the crew gifts which was like a oh. uh rick dalton lunchbox oh. uh, we had uh, <laughs> two of the manson girls we had uh mikey madison and uh, madison Beatty. they came and did a, an awesome q a before the show and it felt like uh it's kind of an emotional night i've li- i've lived with this movie now for uh a long time, uh, intimately, every day, uh, answering people's questions about it on the internet. So it is going to be unusual for me to uh, only be having it on Fridays at midnight, but I think it'll be cool. And uh, people have been asking whether we're going to keep up with the same uh, pre-show that we have been running. We're going to switch it up a little bit uh, each week, but if you still want to see stuff that you can only see at the new Bev, you got to come out one of these Friday nights. Cool. cool. Uh, then we move into our first, and one of the truly perfect midnight movies out there, I think, is uh, Hal Ashby's Harold and Maude from 71. Uh, this is on the 7th. Uh, who loves Harold and Maude here? Who All doesn't hands love Harold? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What is your name? Harold. Harold Chasen. Oh, how do you do? I'm Dame Marjorie Chardin, but you may call me Maude. How do you do? Nice to meet you. Well, thank you. I think we're going to be great friends, don't you? Can I give you a lift, Harold? No, thank you. I have my own car. Well, I must be off. We shall have to meet again. Uh, Tell me, do you dance? Pardon me? Do you sing and dance? Uh, no. Uh, no. I thought not. I and like one of those ultimate cult movies that we've been talking about. I, for me, it's one of the most emotional. I, I think it's like the perfect romance, the perfect like, oh yeah, life's worth the damn. Mm-hmm. I think the comic timing of the first half of this, where Harold is going through these different <laughs> suicides and to to get a response from his mother, that just the first time you see this movie, there's nothing that quite like it. I don't think tonally. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that quite went for this tone and nailed it. Uh, maybe the loved one is trying in that ballpark, but not quite. It's a good movie, but not. No. as as sweet and I don't romantic get and emotionally involved no with that not at movie. all yeah it's a colder yeah. movie yeah but uh you know Ruth Gordon I just biggest crush I think I ever could have on a woman <laughs> is, is her is her spirit in this movie it, oh, yeah. it's there's there's little things in it that I don't want to talk about that because it's like it's not a plot film but there's little things about her past there's I showed it to a bunch of students once and I'd kind of forgotten there's just a, a shot where it just changes how you view the entire mm-hmm. film and mm-hmm. and that in something like this is really uh, unique and her, it's just she has this incredible spirit that uh, she passes on to this uh, kid who's struggling and who's kind of drowning in just like nothingness uh, with this character Cat Stevens 
Stevens' music is sublime. It's this is really special. It made me a lifelong like Bud Court obsessive. Like if, if he appears in oh, anything, yeah. I uh, want to see it. <clears throat> Such an interesting guy. Well, and it shows off um, Hal's roots as an editor. There's yeah. some great sequences that I'll never ever forget yeah. towards the end of the movie where he's cutting a couple different scenes together mm-hmm. with some with a great Cat Stevens song, and it's just. Ah man, it's wonderful and it's emotional, so yeah. powerful, and I'm just like, wow! I've never, at the, I still don't think I've seen a lot of movies that have tried to do what it's doing in terms of the editing and the cross cutting. It's beautiful. Yeah, if you have a friend you hasn't seen this, it would be such a great way to take. This would be the gift to yeah. bring someone to a movie like this at midnight and just blow their mind. And even if you haven't seen it in just like a year or two, yeah. because I thought that I knew this film so well, I've seen it so many times. Yeah. I've seen it at rep screenings. I've yeah. watched it at home. I've showed it to people, but to watch it again, just I was I, any excuse to watch this yeah. movie again. Yeah. I watched it in prepping for this, and and wow, I mean, there are things that as you age, the film ages differently, and and. There's never uh, not a good time to watch this movie again. Yeah, truly, one of the great movies ever. Really, it's probably the best date movie on our entire schedule this month. Yeah, um, but I wanted to go over quickly. So all the Saturdays this month are sort of like repertory midnight movie classics. So if you uh, lived in a college town in the '70s, these are all movies that you would see on the schedule. People would be going to see week in and week out. Very cool. Yeah. So we follow. Harold and Maude on the 7th with, uh, I think, the movie Elric was referring to. Uh, on the 14th, Oh Lucky Man, Lindsay Anderson's second film in the Mick Travis series. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I prefer If to Oh Lucky Man, and they're just wrong. Because <laughs> If, if is a really I good protest no, movie. I love If, don't get me wrong. But Oh Lucky Man is like nothing you have seen before. Like I, This was a movie I think I saw at 16, and I just became it became that movie that was yours. Like like I like yeah I like Clockwork Orange, but I like Oh Lucky Man more. Oh yeah, we like, talked about this on the show, yeah. and it's a thing where you watch it and you just you can't even remotely imagine where it goes when it starts, yeah. and and it's the, epic. It's a, yeah, it's an epic in the best movie. possible way. And it was two VHS tapes. I always yep, remember that yep. when I rented it. Yeah, no, it's it's really great. If you love Clockwork Orange. You really owe it to yourself to see this movie because I feel like it it's a sister film sort of and I I'm one that prefers it to Clockwork Orange personally. But. Yeah, it's a coffee salesman going out um to try to go door to door and take it goes on this wild adventure that you're never going to And 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 the interesting part is I've never seen a film that really incorporated the guy Alan Price's score. Oh, it, it keeps it. intercutting so to the, him and his band actually playing and yeah. and then he actually becomes a part of the narrative at a certain point and you're like this is not quite like anything I've seen before uh you know would be wild at midnight because it's an, like it is an epic you'd have to definitely serve extra coffee but i imagine by the <laughs> yeah. end you're going to be delirious and it's going to yeah. go to some wild thing places. is you could take little micro naps and <laughs> yeah. you would have no clue no, you wouldn't know it's, which city you're in because yeah. it really is uh it's surreal uh, it's best in, yeah so you it definitely has a spirit of benwell if there's any other filmmaker it's like taking sure. some, some of those anarchy moments that benwell's so able to pull out there's moments in discreet charm there's just little things it's a different type of movie but it definitely is that's the only thing i can even liken it to uh great film um on the 21st is another just wild uh dark comedy about as dark as it gets uh where's papa <laughs> by carl reiner at a beautiful 82 minutes Everybody has a mom, and every mom grows old. My mother is old. Gordon Hockheiser was no exception. Now his story can be told. I mean, old. His mom was pushing 90. How she carried on. I fell down, Gordon. Ooh, I'd that push anywhere. 
Gordon. And so we find poor Gordon. Alas, alack, oh, whoa. Something has got to be done. What do you want me to do, Gordon? I'm going to put her in a... Trying to control the urge to put her in a... You don't put your mother in a home. Where's Papa? The story of Gordon Hockheiser, a young man torn between his love for mother and the urge to kill her. Sid, you have ten minutes. If you're not here by then, I'm throwing her out the window. You can torture her and beat her. Get a dog and let her beat her. You have the right to remain silent and refuse to answer any questions. But never put your mother in a home. I'm going to put my mother in a home, Papa. Yeah. Um, it's one of those... It, it, More Ruth Gordon. The main thing you need yes. to know is uh, when you do research, just like the factoid you pulled out, I, one factoid I found out is this is the first film to use the word cocksucker. No. First film. Wow, what a milestone. There you go. That's not a reason to be out at midnight. I don't know what is. But this, I mean, look, we were talking about George Segal before the thing. And we're talking, we always talk about Elliot Gould because I think he dominates. But when I go back to California Split, I always think about both of them. And I've seen so many great George Segal films in the last like two years, Born to Win, just so many things back to back that, again, this is him just playing a totally beat down son who <laughs> the opening seems ridiculous him wearing a gorilla suit to try to scare his mother to death uh ruth gordon in a totally different mode you know, she's just this you know maybe meant to just be annoying and somebody you know eccentric and uh who keeps asking where's papa because she wants to know where her husband is long deceased husband uh and there's just some interesting uh vanderveer is a woman who just enters the narrative as a potential uh woman to look after his mother but of course instantly becomes his love interest to him which all happens in like three seconds their, their t- falling in love scene is hilarious yes. three times in the I, I wrote to him three times in this I had like loud guffaws that I don't ever have at home like you know and one was her talking about her first love making experience with her new husband and the way that story ends I, I literally couldn't even believe where the story went I'd forgotten a lot of this movie to be honest um, but there's there's a scene where just like they get together he's trying to like make it with her and they both climb on top of his bed and they're standing on a little single bed and there's nothing no real punchline it's just funny and odd I think Reiner just is so good with comic beats. Um, He's but, really pushing it too with this because yeah. some of the stuff just goes way out there. Yeah. And even then, I would think it might have been a little out there. Well, yeah, there's one I, gag that is too much. Oh, like, yeah, and, goes and that will not definitely goes over. Which will play awkwardly in a theater, and that, and it's just, it's one of those. It's a, you know, there's a rape gag right, right in the middle. But the one thing about it that I will say because you never want to get into, I'm going to defend that rape. But it about two scenes later, there's a twist to that gag mm-hmm. that I won't say it made it better, but definitely did make me laugh. Yeah. and I didn't think I could laugh at after the initial gag so it gets pretty crazy with the the twist on that well just the the comedy is so dark that it's like I think the Variety review at the time said that it's a little too close to tragedy Yeah, but (laughs) that's what it's teetering right on the edge that makes it like just it, it still feels like a dangerous movie. Yeah, yeah. Even Which is something about Carl Reiner too. Yeah. His comedy is just—he's still with us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Him and this Mel Brooks are both. Yeah, and best friends. Yeah, yeah. They hang out every every night to Mel Brooks. Oh, the two of them—they're they, long-term friends. <laughs> but but I do think I think this film will play great at that time of night because I do think you you, you accept that at that time of night. There's going to be stuff that's you know of its time, but it is. I think this is a great dark comedy. Um, not every every beat lands, but man, when they do, there are some. Yeah, some wild moments. An interesting new Bev connection when the theater opened in 1978. This was on the first calendar. Oh, wow. nice. Oh, really? Nice. Interesting. 
Um, and then perhaps one of the ultimate midnight movies out there, uh, which is Paul Marcy and Andy Warhol's uh, Dracula, a.k.a. Uh, Blood of Dracula, a.k.a. Udo Kier, The Blood of These Hearts is Killing Me, uh, <laughs> which would be the comedy title. This this is actually, because um, some of Marcy's films are really interesting and unique, this is a really good movie. This yeah. is a really well, quite a well-made movie. Um, it, it also, I'll never forget, has Vittorio De Sica playing a count, uh, and, uh, you know, one of the, the wealthy men in this, uh, Joe D'Alessandro, who you can never get enough of and Polanski has a cameo he yeah because he was filming he was filming what at the exact same time it in the same town it would have made sense that he was filming uh, Chinatown no it was no, it was no. that the one movie, what it was, oh, oh. it was the one that no oh, one really oh. talks about they were filming in the scene <laughs> is that an epic Costello routine <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, the, movie, uh, the the actress one of the actresses from Suspiria is one of the girls but mm-hmm. so it's basically uh, in this version the count uh, needs the blood of virgins to survive so somebody uh, suggests to him well we should go to Italy because they're Catholics so there'll be lots of virgins so of course he then gets it with his family and realizes that one of them is lying because he's drinking their blood and so the whore the whore's blood as he calls it in one of the greatest line readings I've ever seen uh, and then reaction his reaction to, oh my god <laughs> no I mean he's really I love him in this film I I, I mean I, he's one of the he's the best guest we ever had on, on Shockwave period like that was one of those outlandish two hours where you're like oh my god Udo just talked to us for two hours um, but no this is this is a really cool movie and Paul, Mar- and Paul Marcy's an interesting character he came to my film school once when I was in film school for a day and he was not what I thought he's not the Andy Warhol anymore he's he's the opposite incredibly conservative that's why a lot of these don't come out because he wants things to be a certain way and I wouldn't say it was the most pleasant uh, experience I've had being around someone but it was fascinating to to hear his viewpoints on how these films are made especially because they have Andy Warhol's name in front of them yeah. but they're Paul Morrissey's you know uh, films but yeah this is a great film I think yeah and he was a practicing Catholic I think Oh, yeah. Which or maybe still is, and maybe has even leaned harder into that as he's gotten older. So yeah, that's de- a lot of those themes come up in this movie. Yeah, top-notch midnight movie. Yeah, mm. great, great group for yeah. sure. Total blood puker. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is the main uh, main programming and the midnight. So we'll go through all the kitties and the matinees a little briefer, but. We'll run through. We'll talk about Cartoon Club at, at the top here of the kiddies. So. Yeah. So uh, as you've heard me talk about before, Cartoon Club is the most fun you'll have at the New Beverly any month. Um, and this month it lands on the 14th and 15th at 10 a.m. It's perfect for all ages. We present a feature-length collection of original film prints of old theatrical cartoons. So if you like uh, Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, all that sort of stuff, uh, we... Uh, Jules, who's the director of operations at the Bev, who couldn't join us tonight, but she and animation historian Jerry Beck, they put together uh, a fun collection of uh, animated hilarity. And this month, uh, I think, is going to be all time travel themed. I heard that right before I uh, got on the air today. So I uh, am not exactly sure what will be in there, but knowing Jules and uh, Jerry, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, and that sounds awesome. As I mentioned before, have you been to any of these cartoon club shows? I haven't, but you know, my my co-programmer at UCLA takes his six-year-old, and uh, he's won many a raffle. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> come so he he comes to these shows now expecting to get a prize <laughs> because he's like, oh, this is the place I go where I get free toys. Um, but he he has a great time, and his son has a great time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, as I mentioned before, it's like. There's every generation of uh, animation fans. So there are people who've worked in the cartoon industry for 50 years. There's people who are watching their very first cartoon. Uh, it's it's a blast. Yeah, um, definitely a must. 
And then uh, we are going to knock off, we're going to finish our uh, Harry Potter retrospective. Uh, so March 7th and 8th, we're going to go into Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I saw someone on uh, Letterboxd call it the Horny Harry movie. And <laughs> there is a lot of uh, love and romance sort of in the, the first half of that movie. And then it kind of grows far darker as uh, Harry and Dumbledore try to figure out the key to uh, Lord Voldemort's defenses so they know that the Wizarding War is coming up and they're trying to figure out how to knock that off. And then March 14th and 15th, we're going to have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1. So it was kind of controversial on release, but the Warner Brothers basically split the final Harry Potter book into two films, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1, playing on the 14th and 15th, and then Part 2 on the 21st and 22nd. But I personally thought that it actually worked out pretty well. Mm, me too. Um, I've yet to see Part 2. I watched all of them with kids, and then at some point, they're just, we never finished Part 2, so I'm gonna, it would be nice to finish in a theater. could be fun. Yeah, I like Part 2. Yeah, I like Part 1 as well. Yeah. It ends, and it's very sad. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I never, okay. Uh, and then uh, the final kitty matinee of the month is going to be Matilda, directed by Danny DeVito, based on the Roald Dahl uh, novel, and that's going to be March 28th and 29th. Have you seen that one? Oh, it's yeah. This was I... my favorite book as a like eight-year-old. I loved this book. I wanted to be Matilda. And I think when the film finally came out, I was just like so excited to see it. And it <laughs> definitely, it has all of the fun of the book and her like magical powers are just like, if I feel like if you have a daughter anywhere in the range from like six to even like 35, <laughs> <laughs> she will enjoy, she will enjoy this movie. I also miss Danny DeVito as a director. I know. From, yeah. from the Train was like one of my favorite movies. That's right. Up. I always forget he directed that. Oh, that's good he stuff. He had a real like verb for just insanity. Yeah. <laughs> and his performance in it is great as yeah. her uh, car that's salesman father. Perlman, right? Yep. Did he do War of the Roses? Yes. Is that him too? Mm-hmm. Jeez, yeah. Wow. Dark movies. That's a yeah. bleak movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matilda definitely has like a dark fantasy edge. Yeah. Yes. So, Interesting. Um, I give it two thumbs up. All right. And then uh, the weekday matinees at the New Beverly. So uh, every Monday in March, we're going to be doing a series that I like to call the New Jack Cinema. Um, so it's going to be sort of uh, the black filmmaker boom uh, in the 90s that kind of crossed over. And you'll wonder why some of these filmmakers didn't get more chances when they made some pretty fucking good movies um so march 2nd today we, today we kicked off with wesley snipes and kevin hook's passenger 57 always been on black yeah, always all started. <laughs> we know this um and let me tell you uh wesley snipes looks <sighs> incredibly <laughs> handsome uh-huh. in every single shot of this movie um, and it is a sleek 84 minutes of oh, wow. action-packed uh goodness uh so good. about Basically, Wesley Snipes plays uh, an airline security consultant. He has to be on a plane that uh, is hijacked by uh, a notorious uh, terrorist, and he doesn't fucking play that game. <laughs> part of the like post Die Hard, yep. 90, you know, yeah. Die Hard on a blank. This was Die Hard. This is one of my favorites plane. of the of the post Die Hard movies. Mm-hmm. I, this is one that I really like a lot. This it doesn't great. fuck around. It, it does not starts ends. It's good in between. <laughs> uh, and then uh, March 9th, we have uh, Reginald Hudlin's uh, House Party, the famous kid and play comedy, um, also starring uh, legendary comedian Robin Harris, who I feel like is definitely uh, in the same realm as like Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. 
You guys are fans of that one? So yeah, fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And Martin Lawrence looks like a baby. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. He's so, so young. Yeah. Martin Lawrence and uh, Tisha Campbell. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's got a slamming soundtrack, and the villains are played by uh, Full Force, who were a producer slash performer group, and they're real good. It's real funny. With um, a crowd, I can only imagine how it plays. It's solid. And then uh, Monday, March 16th, we're going to have uh, Mario Van Peebles' New Jack City, which I think is one of the great crime films of Talk the about a, a 90s. director who, I mean, I mean Mario Van Peebles has still been working, but it's like, I feel like this movie had such a huge impact, and you look at his filmography, and like, he, I mean, I loved the movie Posse when I was younger, uh, but I kind of feel like he didn't get to make a lot of particularly interesting movies. Yeah, it's weird. And I don't really mo- know why. You're right. This movie was like a huge deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it made money too. I yeah. Think. yeah. yeah. I, I was uh, listening to an interview with him where he talks about uh, how when he made Panther, I think that a lot of people Got didn't want to see him uh, work after that, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Um, but wow. he also made uh, a great film where he plays his dad, Badass. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. really yeah. Uh, which I also recommend. Yeah. But uh, New Jack City also features Wesley Snipes, who clearly a fan of chris rock um chris, early chris rock. yeah yeah ice tea and, and my favorite judd nelson line ever pookie i used to be pookie it's one of the one of my favorite lines in any movie i love this film judd uh, nelson is so weirdly yeah. used in this movie well and chris rock as pookie is a really interesting what? character he's just yeah. like really yeah. desperate and sad it's, yeah. yeah it's kind of scary there's yeah. also for this predates the wire obviously yeah. but yeah, there's, right. some, there's uh, some elements that that definitely uh if mm. anybody who was a writer on the wire saw this movie yeah. stole from this movie mm-hmm. This movie had a huge influence on a bunch of films, TV shows, but then also like uh, hip hop culture. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people uh, definitely took the wrong lessons from the Nino Brown character and uh, ran with it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that movie is fucking Cracker Jack. And then on March 23rd, we are going to have Tales from the Crypt uh, presents Demon Knight, directed by uh, Ernest Dickerson, uh, the amazing cinematographer turned director and also mm. one of the greatest genre film fans I have ever met. He has mm. got an encyclopedic knowledge of anything, all things horror. He also directed Bones, which I think is yeah. Uh, yeah. highly <laughs> underrated. I agree. I think you played this one. Did you play this with Ernest there? I did, Josh? and before KJ and I were dating, we co-presented this at yep. the silent movie theater. As so a midnight. Awesome. So would you call this your meet cute? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that pretty was a pretty awesome meet cute demon. Yeah. Meet cute in a uh, a crypt keeper mask that my roommate had brought oh, nice. that we were trading off wearing all night. And, <laughs> that, and John Casier was there, and he signed the mask. <laughs> Universal Pictures is proud to present the motion picture directing debut of one of America's most talented and respected artists. Cut! 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 Oh, hello, kitties. So glad you could join me. Your pal, the Crypt Keeper, has gone Hollywood in a big way. I'm directing my first feature film. Care for a little shriek preview? I think that's one of the best 90s horror films. Like, you know, Candyman to me is the ultimate horror film, scary horror film in the 90s. And then for horror, comedy, fun, yeah. just it, this movie owns great, and it plays great Dick so Miller well. role great Dick the cast Miller. is amazing yeah um, I mean, based Jada on Pinkett's this movie great. I was expecting Billy Zane to become like a giant <laughs> movie star <laughs> yeah He's so good no this it. one's super fun this will play so well yeah Bill yeah. Sadler mm-hmm. uh, oh Bill Sadler so good Jada yeah, yeah. Pinkett um, but yeah I feel like that one perfectly captures the 
the joy of reading an easy comic. Yeah. Um, and then March 30th, we have uh, Hype Williams' Belly, sadly his sole feature mm. film to date. And I feel like, man, this movie is going to look incredibly that's gorgeous oh my on God. screen. Yeah, this that's movie, if you've ever you see seen uh, Hype Williams' uh, work as a music video director, and if you were alive in the 90s and you 2000s, did. you absolutely yeah. have. On he TRL, probably. <laughs> considered uh, one of the most innovative and pioneering uh, music video directors. So if you think of like Missy Elliott and stuff like that, he directed all... I mean, this Buster movie Rhymes. Is yeah. bonkers. Oh. Um, Belly, I mean. Yes, and it stars uh, a bunch of... DMX, Rap stars, so it's got DMX Nas. and Nas, and it's uh, Kurt Loader <laughs> <No>. on screen. <laughs> um, but it is moody and atmospheric, noir drenched mm-hmm. uh, crime saga about two best friends, and maybe their lives come to a crossroads, and or the criminal lives come to a crossroads. Um, and it's got a great soundtrack that Def Jam put out, and you still see. I feel like people are still catching up with this movie. When I saw Uncut Gems and there's like the scene where The weekend is performing and it's like totally. black yeah. light and yeah. it's clearly to me, I was like, oh, the, mm-hmm. the Safties must be a huge Belly fan because it has the same look to that. This uh, seems like one to see on the big screen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And talking about, I mean, you should have him or discuss him on Best Movies Never Made because some of, he had like five different things that went into development and just never made it past that stage. And oh, I wow. feel like we're missing his voice, you know? Th- this was the the end-all be-all in terms of feature films that he made. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I know that least audiences have been discovering it because uh, my girlfriend Jackie works at Amoeba. She's been on the show before. Um, I know that she keeps Belly in stock at, up there, <laughs> and it's consistently one of their bestsellers week in and week out. Wow, oh, that's, that's great. awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so the Wednesday afternoon classics are celebrating the work of director Clint Eastwood, uh, director and star, and there's uh, I four think film. it's director Clint Eastwood and actor. Yeah, yeah. And, actor. <laughs> uh, and all four uh, have a mysterious stranger who comes to a town and then fucks shit up. <laughs> um, I mean, one of them he might already be in the town, but basically that's the plot. Uh, no, the first one, High Plains Drifters, my favorite from 1973, uh, and again this one's kind of famous for turning the town into hell itself. And it's really, it, it, I think if you love movies like El Topo, it's it kind of strays into that territory, which I love that Clint went that dark. Yeah. I find the film to be ter- like a horror film almost. Yeah, definitely. It is. It's very supernatural. Yeah, yep. without being overly supernatural. Yeah, dark revenge tale. Um, yeah, exactly with the supernatural. Uh, and then the outlaw Josie. Ho- uh, yeah, Josie Wales from '76 uh, has John Vernon in it. <laughs> <laughs> any any particular fans of the Outlaw Josie Wales here? I used to love it, and I yeah. haven't seen it in years. Yeah. I just remember that being one of my favorite Eastwood's post uh, Leone stuff. Yeah, really solid. Uh, he's a farmer in that one uh, and a preacher in, in Pale Rider. Uh, I always love just the subtle shades of what you give a character in the Old West, you know? Well, Pale uh, Rider is almost like a sequel to High Plains Drifter. Yeah. It's very similar in that it's kind of yeah, like he might be dead, keeps yeah. getting alluded to. But uh, High Plains Drifter doesn't have Michael Moriarty. So no. <laughs> anytime you throw him, that's a curveball in any movie. One of the few, like, really grounded yeah. Michael Moriarty yeah. performances where he's just some normal guy. So maybe it's Larry Cohen's direction that leads to <laughs> <No>. this. <laughs> uh, Carrie Snodgrass, too, who she's, oh, I mean, yeah, she's not in enough movies. In, yeah. You know, she uh, she's a fascinating actress. You know, she was nominated for uh, Best uh, best Actress in the Frank Perry film. Diary of the Mad oh, uh, Housewife. And then quickly after that, like, more or less was basically leaving the industry, you know. Um, anyway, that, that Pell Rider is good. I haven't seen Pell Rider for a long time. Mm-hmm. Pell Rider, definitely one of the best 
westerns of the 80s. Yeah. Very cool. I think it was the highest grossing western. Of there the you 80s. go. Interesting. Yeah. Gross and quality yeah. are directly <laughs> intertwined. <laughs> and I like that you're going kind of backwards in this sense, that the last one is not a western, and it's Clint's first uh, directorial debut, Play Misty for Me, which is a really really solid thriller, uh, obsessive, kind of go- going back to what we were talking about earlier. Talk about with sets. Yeah, yeah stalking. And, and you that know. is oh, truly yeah. outrageous. We were, we were trying to figure, we just watched it last night with a, with a friend, uh, and we applauded at the end of it. It was just three of us on the couch, and we were all just applauding. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I so find great. out that, I mean, basically, there was supposed to be in L.A., and he lived in Carmel yeah. by the Sea, and he's like, I just want to shoot it where I live, and most all the houses they shot in were his friends' houses. Yeah. Come on. Found out the Sardine Factory, the bar that he's always working at, where Don Siegel plays the bartender, the bartender, bartender yeah. uh, is still there. So oh, cool. Drive up there. It's beautiful up there. I, I love that little town. Yeah, yeah. So I actually grew up in Salinas, which is oh. you know, Steinbeck oh, yeah. country, right next Real to close. Carmel. And I remember growing up, being around, and you would literally see. Clint Eastwood around town because he, he was the mayor. He was the mayor for in the mid '80s, so yeah. it was uh, pretty exciting. We also went to his restaurant, Hog's Breath Inn. Oh and, yeah, you know, I, used, I got a T-shirt from there in like the mid '80s when we went to California <laughs> from the Midwest before I lived here. And the right. most important thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, the woman who plays the person who has a very strong affection for Clint in the movie, <laughs> is uh, Jessica Walter. Uh, if you are an Arrested Development fan and want to see something quite different, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. Um, she is intense in this movie, and I am a huge fan. Yeah, no, she's great in it. And then it's closing out the calendar. Freaky Fridays. Go to space. Yes. Yeah, so everything's uh, all the Friday matinees in March are going to be outer space themed. So we're going to start it off with uh, Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers on Ooh. March 6th. I feel like that's perfect timing uh, for Trump's Space Force announcement. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and uh, I'm, it feels like he saw this movie and thought that <laughs> it wasn't a, a, a satire on uh, everything that's going on. Uh, yeah. It's uh, pretty brutal. Uh, and then on Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th, oh, we are cool. going to go into Jason X. Um, I bet Josh is a fan. I remember you played this at... Uh, Todd Farmer was out for that. Uh, he brought his fake severed head <laughs> to let us take pictures of. <laughs> and another Cronenberg connection, because we get a great cameo at the start of That's Cronenberg true. as a doctor. Um, also, I know uh, a couple years ago, uh, Quentin did a list, I can't quite remember for who empire or something like that and it was uh his favorite death scenes in films and jason x uh made the cut and there's a real good one in there is it the the freezing one exactly one of one of the best deaths yeah Yeah, it's great for sure i bet this does play well with the crowd it's one of those films at home that i'm mixed on at home but i could see it playing really well uh, and then the beautiful cult movie uh, by Rene Lalou, uh, Fantastic Planet, one of the most gorgeous animations ever. I think. Oh, love yeah, it so much. Yeah. And also just so. deeply, uh, deeply disturbing and, and a good reminder of like humanity mm-hmm. and the fact that you are a human being. I don't know. I, I rewatched this and was uh, and I think it will play super well with a crowd and also just like feels i don't know timely in some way why things things are so heavy right now yeah yeah <laughs> no, you're right. 
Well, to, to you, but some people are having a great time out <laughs> some there. Some people. <laughs> some people, it's a joke. Yeah. Um, but well, Fantastic Planet is also real short, so you want to take a long lunch. That's a perfect yeah. name. It's real yes. short. Yeah. And it's also, you know, the one of the things I wrote down, like, I there's there's some animated films that it's like, why did you even bother animating this? Uh-huh. Like, why are you telling the story this way? With this, like, there's a reason why this film was executed with animation, yeah. and it it wouldn't work any other way. That reminds me, yeah, Belladonna of Sadness was one I felt that way about, because totally. the art itself is just unique it's yeah. not like yeah. anyone could imitate that animation no, that is just that production artist. design Mm-mm. live action version no. of that movie yeah. Yeah. yeah they're both very unique in that way yeah uh, and then talk about saving the best for last year <laughs> take it away phil <laughs> so, wasn't it out <laughs> march 27th we are going to have john carpenter's ghost of mars because other theaters can play other john carpenter movies but the new beverly can play ghost of mars is there any chance you could uh, sneak rashomon to play with it because i think those two will beautifully play together in terms of story structure because i just remember at a certain point in the movie they get they try to pull a quick rashomon thing and i was like oh no that's too late (laughs) (laughs) well uh, this movie talk about uh movies that never got made because this was supposed to be escape from mars it was gonna be the third snake plissken movie and then uh (laughs) because escape from la had not done well nor had really any of Carpenter's 90s movies like the studio was just like no which uh, I mean I enjoy this movie I thought it kind of got a bum rap because it came out a year after Pitch Black and it had a very similar sort of premise but he does some interesting things with the role of woman in the future and I thought that was like it's one of those things you missed maybe when I was young I didn't really think about it. by the time I get to the now it feels really different it feels really topical mm-hmm. uh, I'd, I'd be very curious to see audiences react to this film now I've, I've seen it when we did our Carpenter episode yeah. a couple of years ago, and that was the first time I'd seen in a while, and it Me definitely too. played better than well, my yeah, first and I, memory. And I picked up on the Western, yep, heavy sure. Western overtones, yeah. which I had somehow missed the first time I yeah. saw it. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is way cooler than yeah. I remember. It's like so. a Western space opera gore action movie. Exactly. With a, like a <laughs> pretty, Ice Cube. <laughs> with a pretty crazy yeah. cast. So it's got like Ice Cube and Natasha Henstridge. Early Statham. Yeah, Jason Statham and Pam Greer. Pam Greer's and then, right. uh, yeah. one of my all-time personal favorites, Cleo Duvall. Yeah. 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 Jason Statham with a little bit of hair. A little bit of hair, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the same attitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good way to close it out. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a hell of a month. Well that done, guys. Month. Damn. Good month. Well, what, are you, what are we thinking here? So we're going to do some picks? Yeah. Yeah, let's do uh, first. some picks. Oh, man, Only man. get to highlight one. I, one just, double one bill. One double bill. It's okay. 4 a.m. You get to pick one. <laughs> we just really loved Summer Lovers. So much. But I also want to pick one to encourage If you pick the same see. one, I will puke. <laughs> <laughs> Couples do not get to pick the same film. All right, you go first. Oh, man. I, I'm going to go The Brood scalpel nice. i feel because the brood always yeah. delivers and i think scalpel like it's not a movie people would necessarily ever see and i i can't even imagine what it would be like to watch that after the brood yeah, yeah. they're so very different yeah no that was on my short list so well picked oh man this is so hard i mean uh, definitely i gotta say the great race nice. like nice. you awesome. like truly the this i'm sure the print is gonna look great and it's Really the only way to see this movie. I've only seen it on television. Um, I'm actually bringing my mom to Aww, come watch this with me killer. because she is my, the reason I love Blake Edwards. So that's yeah, cool. it's, it's uh, especially because it's two and a half hours, like don't try to watch that shit at home. Like yeah. come to the theater, eat some popcorn, laugh a lot. Yeah. And I, I also take so notice fun. of when they play one movie. I know because they don't do yeah. it often, and I, it does sometimes stands out. It's like, ooh, okay. I did that. You got my attention when they when yeah. you played Giant. I de- yeah. I was like, I'm gonna go see that on the big screen because that's another just like it's it's the right way to see it. Yeah. Period. 
What do you think, Phil? Man, I fucking want to pick Death Promise again two months <laughs> in a row. But, but I won't because uh, any schedule that has Zebra Force with bare knuckles is calling my name. And I will see everyone there, and I can hardly wait to see your minds ooze out your ear holes. Uh, I might have gone with the squirm tenderflesh, but I can't in good faith do that because I haven't seen tenderflesh. So I am going to put all my weight behind uh, Man Who Would Be King and Zulu Dawn. I think Man Who Would Be King is just just one of the great movies, uh, and Zulu Dawn might be a nice discovery for people. You know, It's be interesting to see how they play back-to-back. Man. I was I was definitely thinking brood scalpel. I was also thinking zebra force bare knuckles fell. Just put all of it behind our lucky man. Get it, get people to our lucky <laughs> oh, man. Oh, lucky man's <laughs> definitely great. Um, I'm kind of thinking maybe the pink panther double. Mm. I'm thinking return strikes again would be pretty great. Yeah, that that might be the one. I mean, the Quentin's birthday double is looking pretty wonderful too. That's gonna be his pick, right? We got yeah. <laughs> yeah, his birthday fair. pick. <laughs> Um, either that or the Hot Fuzz Big Bullet. I think I'm going to go for the Pink Panthers, though, because I was surprised how much fun those were, and I would think with a crowd those would play really well. So I'll say on the 6th and 7th, Return of the Pink Panther and Pink Panther Strikes Again. Awesome. So much movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big thanks to you two because you yeah, guys coming on. saying yes to doing this means watching a lot of movies, and we appreciate you doing oh, that work. Well, we well, love we watching movies. It I know fun. you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have love an going to the new Bev. So yeah, yeah. It's extra fun. Yeah, very cool. Very and cool. I want to thank everybody for listening to all. 30 minutes of the podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and because you did, I'm going to tease a little bit of what we have coming up in April. Ooh. I know it's going to be a shocker. So uh, a number of years ago, Quentin would go to the Alamo Draft House in Austin and we put on these like uh, festivals called QT Fest and it really dug, a, returned a lot of films uh, back to the public eye that perhaps there had not been a lot of discussion at that time. And so coming to uh, the New Bev in April, I think we're going to do a QT 16mm festival, and he's going to dig out a lot of films that need your love. And I think he's got his eyes on a bunch of films that perhaps we have not played, perhaps you have not seen, but uh, I think that you are going to be in for a treat for a bunch of films that, I don't know, we're going to all watch together. Nice. You're saying the next episode's hard? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's things nobody's seen. Yeah. Is he mostly sourcing from his own collection, or is he I going think, out I think in the for world? The, I think for the, the, 16, the QT 16 millimeter fest, I think they're all going to be for, from his collection. Oh, wow. So, um, so uh, the titles are still coming in to me, at least. Um, I think they're all going to be films, or primarily going to be double bills, triple bills of films that perhaps he had not seen before he got those film prints. Cool. Oh, that's cool. And uh, now that, because he, he's got a lot, uh, he's got a big film archive, and I think these are the going to be the best and brightest of those film prints, so the wow. films that he really wants to share with people. That's exciting. April's my birthday, so I'm going to be looking at that date for whatever craziness <laughs> he's playing. I'm into it. Cannot okay, well, wait. that's exciting. That's Cannot first... wait to hear what that is. Yeah, very cool. Like... Uh, but yeah, and th- yeah, definitely thank you to the new Beverly for supporting the show. Uh, if you, if for some reason you've only heard our episodes with the calendar, I would wa- I would definitely direct you back to our previous episode, which was a long form life kind of career spanning chat with Michael Madsen uh, that you know Jules helped orchestrate. And it's really, it's been really fun because he was so honest and open. It, it ended up being a really beautiful episode. So if you ha- if you haven't listened to other episodes, I would definitely recommend that. It's 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 really fantastic. Uh, just hearing him in his own words uh, walk through a career yeah we've um, been really moved by the response to the yeah, episode it's been super really fun so yeah we appreciate everyone listening and really get down to the new bev and watch some movies 